Hi guys, welcome and welcome back to the podcast. I've been meaning to watch that. I am Monica and I'm here with my wonderful co-host, co-host Glenn. Hi. Hey guys, so happy to see you guys. You guys, this week is Halloween week. Mm-hmm. It's, it's spooky season. Time for a horror, time for frights. Time for shaking your boots, all right? <laughs> time to cover them freaking mirrors because too many monsters want you to say their name. True, multiple true. Multiple times. Like, babe, just leave me alone. Like, why are we doing this? Like, by the Why are you so time, obsessed with me? <laughs> why are you so obsessed with me? Honestly, like, leave it, let it rest. Leave it be. But today we're going to be talking about uh, horror movies that we love. We're going to talk about two amazing horror films that we've both seen. And each one of us, we're going to talk about a horror film that one of us has seen, but the other one hasn't seen yet. But before we get into that, we're going to start with our beginning segment, I Can't Wait to Watch, where we talk about upcoming movies and TV shows that we simply cannot wait to watch. Glenn, what is something that you can't wait to see? Okay, so first, I have to bring this up. It's I'm sorry, it's not, it doesn't follow like the normal format of this because I couldn't wait to watch it. And then I did watch it. And now I need, I feel the need to talk about it for just a brief second. So I mentioned this before in a, I can't wait to watch. And it was Dune. Um, and mm. Dune came out on Friday. Um, and so I did enjoy it. Um, I really liked it. It stayed true to the book. Obviously, it's only like the first half of the book, but we already, already knew that was going to happen because. Like, it's just like a huge book. It would have been very dumb for them to try to cut out so much um, yeah. and fit the whole book in one. So I'm very glad they did that. Now, the thing that I need to mention and complain. So first, good movie. Go watch it. It's on HBO Max. It's probably also in theaters. So have fun. Mm-hmm. What I need to mention is Zendaya's level of power. Okay. She was used in every promotion for that movie. She... <laughs> and then, no, 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 Queen, Queen. Literally, someone point this out on Twitter. They're 100% right. The credits were longer than Zendaya's screen time. Wow. She had she had maybe four like lines in the entire movie. Now, also, I kind of expected that going into it, because in the like in the first half of the book, her character is barely there. And then the second half of the book, she takes over as like basically the main character, and then screw mm-hmm. Timmy C. Um, so I do understand that like in context of the book, it does make sense. But I just find it weird how they used her for every single promotional. And she had like less than, for sure, less than five lines in the entire, entire like two and a half hour movie. Ooh. Ooh. Okay. It hurts. It hurts. It's okay. Is she, is she also the only person of color in the film or were there like No, there's, there's a few other people of color. There's at least, there's at least two others who are, I won't call them like main characters, but like you see them a lot and they have a lot of lines. Some, one of them is like one of the bad guys. Another okay. one is one of the rulers. So like this, it wasn't just her. It wasn't just Okay, her. so you got away with the diversity this time. All right, mm-hmm. okay. Mm-hmm. Huh, all right, well, so yeah. how, how long is the movie? It's like two and a half hours. Like I said, two and a half hours, she has five lines. Hmm. Um, I, it makes me I feel think, some type of way. Yeah, definitely, definitely. The thing is, so like, Zendaya, I don't know what it is, but like, she's a good actress. Mm-hmm. I know that she's a good actress and I know she's very talented, but in a lot of the films that she's in, it feels like they're kind of just like, okay, here is Zendaya for y'all. Y'all happy? Y'all happy? Okay, we, we good, we good. Okay, yeah. Like, 
I the only other film I've seen her like I can only pull from like her Disney Channel days mm-hmm. and like the S- Spider Man yeah. movies. Uh, I know she was in Malcolm and Marie, but I wasn't gonna watch that because the age difference was uh, there. Mm-hmm. And uh, y'all ain't making me like I can't ignore it. I can't. I simply can't ignore it. But I I kind of had an inkling that maybe the day wasn't gonna be in the film as much as Timothy Chalamet. You know, like. You know, they do that thing where it's like, ooh, this actress, that this actor people really like, let's throw them in there. Let's mm. let's get the let's get the kids into the theaters. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But I'm glad she got her back. Yeah, you know? absolutely. As she should. As she should. Yes. I'm very happy for her. Okay. Uh, you go ahead. Else? Well, okay. I have I have another one that I want to mention, but like you go ahead first. We're going back okay. and forth. All right. So I have a few things I'm excited for because for some reason, Hollywood been <laughs> pumping out these news. Okay. First thing I want to talk about, because I am a Star Wars fan. Oh my gosh, my boy Hayden Christensen, he's back. He's back. He's back. He is set to reprise his role as Anakin Skywalker and Darth Vader in Disney's latest Star Wars spinoff in Ahsoka with Rosary Dawson, Rosario Dawson. And buddy, oh boy. This is different. This is different when they use that CGI mm-hmm. Luke Skywalker in The Mandalorian. This is my man's. This is my man's. He is coming for his redemption arc. He said, look, I was very young when those prequels came out. All right, but I'm back. I'm better. It's been years. Y'all finna see me in here. I'm so ready. I am so excited. Um, likely he's gonna be in like flashbacks or like as a Jedi presence. Uh, we don't know. He's gonna have like full lines or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they have been like talking about him being in the, they've talked about Hayden Christensen being in like the spinoffs for a minute. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, I'm very excited. And I think that he's also possibly going to be in the Kenobi series on Disney Plus as well. Yeah. With uh, Ewan McGregor, which I'm very excited to see. So all in all, this is gonna be. This is so good. This is so good. This, this, this is. This is what I want. I'm. I'm happy. I'm happy. I can't wait for him to get at them interviews and tell those horrible Star Wars fans to just <laughs> eat his dust because that what he. That's what he deserves. Mm. Like I'm. I'm so. I'm just ready. I'm ready for it. I am. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, and also just want to add. Um, Brendan Fraser, our king, the man from the 90s who was in the mummy movies, mm-hmm. the amazing, the wonderful. You can't, you can't like, I am so happy for Brendan Fraser. It's crazy. Like the thing that's wonderful about this generation of like young people, like us and like Gen Z, like Gen Z and like I think Gen X was like the generation before millennials. Gen X and Gen Z, like we hear about these actors that have been like mistreated when they were like at the height of their careers in the 90s, the early 2000s, or even later than that. Yeah. And they start coming out, doing interviews, talking about it. And Brendan Fraser talking about like how he had problems with his body and like how he didn't really eat well and him coming back and feeling more confident. And just being like a generally sweet person. And everyone being like, listen, no weapon formed against Brendan Fraser shall prosper. Exactly. Not on my watch. Exactly. And he is set to join Leslie Grace in the Warner Brothers DC film Batgirl. And it's not confirmed, but sources believe that he will play supervillain Firefly. Mm-hmm. So 
I am excited for that. I'm ready for it. I cannot wait. I think it's going to come out on HBO Max before, first, before it comes out on, um, I don't know. I think it's going to be on HBO Max and it's going to be only on HBO Max or they're going to do the thing where it's on HBO Max and in theaters. Yeah. I'm not sure. But either way, I cannot wait to see it. Uh, I really do hope like the best for him. I know he's in a Martin Scorsese film and he has also been in like two other movies. Um, I don't remember the names right now, but I'm very happy that he is like getting into like a franchise, especially a franchise that is doing a bit better than it used to be doing, you know? So we're happy for it. We're, we're like, I can't wait. I can't wait. I can't wait. I cannot wait. Yes. Uh, did you have anything else for, sorry. I was about to say, well, I'm glad to see it. Um, I do have another one that I want to mention. Um, it's been popping up, and I've been seeing a lot of um, trailers for it. So I am interested in watching Last Night in Soho. Um, yes. I've, it comes out this Friday. So mm. that's something, like like I said, I've just been seeing a lot of ads for it. It looks really interesting. So I saw a trailer for it when I went to go see the movie that I'm going to talk about later in the podcast, Candyman. Mm-hmm. And it looks interesting. Like... At first, like, when I was watching the trailer for it, I was like, this trailer seems a bit too, I don't know, nice. Like, it's a bit well done, and, like, I don't know how I feel about this film. But as the trailer kept going, I was like, you know what? Mm, hmm. At least has a very interesting aesthetic. Just, like, the Mm -hmm. aesthetic of the video kind of dragged me in. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm very interested to see what is going to go down in the movie, what Mm -hmm. it's giving, what it's bringing for us, yes. Yes. Anything else you'd like to add? Uh, I don't think so, no. Those are the ones I really thought about. Okay, well, two more things for me. Um, first thing, Insecure. It just came out. Awesome. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. Yes, new season. It's the final season, too. Um, I'm so sad that it's the final season, but I, I know that Issa is doing great things, and I know, like, it has to be a feat to get a TV show with a cast of Black people on a primetime network like HBO with like two dark skin leads, not like, and just like completely making it its own show. Like this show to create a TV show where every single time the episode airs, there is a dialogue and a conversation that overtakes social media. Mm-hmm. That is something that has not been done in a long time. And Issa deserves that. Issa has done so great. She's a phenomenal writer. She's a great director. I loved Awkward Black Girl, her YouTube series that like Insecure is kind of loosely based off of. And she took like five years developing the show for HBO Max, HBO, and it, it's, it's, it's amazing. It's phenomenal. It's going to be like, held in time with like living single and moesha and the parkers like it's that kind of show and it's just a modern and it's so good and the only thing i want to say is that if isa isa needs to choose herself at the end of the season sure no more mm-hmm. men no more niggas leave them behind like even if a uh, light-skinned bay comes back i'll, I'll be happy because i kind of liked him i actually kind of liked him but at the end of the day, she got to choose herself because if she doesn't choose herself at the end, I am going to be upset. I am going to I am going to be annoyed. I'm just going to be a little ticked off. Yep. Yeah. And last but not least, uh, Marco Robbie is making a Barbie movie. And oh, is she actually? I thought that was just yes. like a rumor that was going on. I didn't know that was no. actually real. It's real. Uh, it's Warner Brothers and Mattel 
they're also in with like they're like you know a part of it and ryan gosling is set to play ken so i'm a little excited. Oh, well, okay okay I, so this is like new new because this is literally like i'm seeing articles from like three hours ago talking about mm-hmm. this this is new new okay yeah um greta gerwig is directing the movie and it's supposed to uh i think they're gonna come i don't know and she's co-writing it with Noah Baum, Baumbach, I think that's his last name. But um, yeah, I know the Greta Gerwig is an amazing director. Mm-hmm. She's phenomenal. She's extremely talented. So of course, it's going to be great. Uh, I do wish they possibly picked someone besides Ryan Gosling. Like Ryan Gosling being the pretty boy of Hollywood, I feel like this played out just like a little bit. I feel like I feel like the the time. I don't know what it was about Ryan Gosling that irked me. I think it was maybe like La La Land, like that whole movie, like the way, I don't know, he played his character so well that I was just like, mm, I don't want to sit next to you. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. It's like that. I don't know. Like, Ryan Gosling just has like this almost perfect <laughs> niche that he fits into. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I guess you could call it typecasting if you want, but like uh, he just he just does it well. Yeah, Ryan Gosling is one of those actors who could play an everyman and then like a senator and then like someone's and, like like that super hot guy across the bar who's mm-hmm. drinking whiskey and like fixes his truck and walks around like a white feeder. Like Chris Pine and like uh Chris Evans, they're pretty boys. Yeah. You know, like of course it's like, oh, you know, them, like they're hot, like they're pretty boys. But Ryan Gosling is attractive and handsome, but he also can just like but kind it's like chameleon. it's a more like suave way it's a more yeah. stylish way not just like mm-hmm. blatantly like boom mm. yes yeah you're right you're right mm-hmm, yeah mm-hmm. uh but i'm very excited uh i'm excited for insecure and we should do a podcast talking about insecure we do need to mm-hmm. we should do it because it's so good and it gives me a reason to start from the beginning of season <laughs> It's at the end of season five. It's to see how Issa's journey has like changed. What has what's like different? What's new? What she learned? What she hasn't learned? So yeah, yeah. That is everything that I cannot wait to watch. Mm-hmm. Uh, we can dive into what we're talking about today, which is horror films. Halloween is this Sunday. And this week, we're going to be talking about horror movies that we love. We're going to be discussing Get Out in Midsummer, which is two horror films that are modern and new that we have both seen, we both love. And I will be discussing Candyman, and you will be discussing... What's the Malignant. Movie you watch? Malignant. Malignant, yes. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. James yeah. Wan's newest film mm. that came out on HBO Max. Yes. So, which... Do you want to start with Get Out, or do you want to start with Midsummer? uh let's start with midsummer we'll start we'll start we'll start colorful (laughs) (laughs) okay yeah so midsummer is a horror film by ari aster it was it came out in 2018 i believe right 2018 i think it was 2019 2019 yeah and it was one of the first full feature full feature films he made um, a lot of people know Ari, Ari Aster from his short film Keeping Up with the Benjamins, I mm-hmm. think it is, or like What's Going On with the Benjamins, that very demented 
short film that he made. And Midsummer is actually something of a film he made to process the breakup that he was going through. And it is a movie about Danny, who is a college student. And she is in this dead soulless relationship with this guy Christian, who ain't shit, ain't never gonna be shit. And she is someone who is kind of paranoid. She does a lot of mental health problems. Mm. Um, and the film starts the tragic death of her family through some kind of accident with a car exhaust. And I want to say, no one else believes me when I say this. Okay. And no one else really like is on my side. With I, The beginning of the movie with her family dying I might be wrong in thinking this. I might be. But I low-key thought it was the cult that did it. Um, so here's the thing. When I first watched it, I also thought it was the cult that did it. But okay! Like, but, like, like, they make it seem like they kind of, like, frame it that way. But, like, obviously, after you see the movie, you can see that the cult has nothing to do with it. Like, the cult, yeah. is, the cult, the cult isn't leaving Sweden. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. But I was thinking, like, in my head, I was like, because... In the film, as you're watching it, um, obviously the main um, main juice, the main meat of the story is when Christian and his friends are going to Sweden for like this festival that their friend is inviting them to. Mm-hmm. And Danny finds out about it at a party like a couple days, like a week before they're supposed to go. And so she basically, she kind of shoehorns her way into the trip and like Christian doesn't want her to go he doesn't say he's not talking to her and like she ends up going yeah i we need to talk about the scene with her talking to christian like after the party because that is some really good camera work the way that she is talking to them and she's standing up and he is on the couch and we don't see him but the camera is positioned at the mirror so the mirror is reflecting on christian and we see him sitting there we see his body language you see he's uncomfortable and danny's just trying to talk to him Mm-hmm. and Danny she is kind of like reaching out to Christian trying to get him to open up more trying to get him to just like show her a little bit of emotion and Christian in every single interaction he has with Danny is pulling himself away trying to like make himself so small that she just won't even graze him like everything like even when he just like comfort her it's awkward it's weird like when Danny finds out that her whole family died and Christian's rubbing her back you can very clearly see on his face he's like I can't break up with her because I'm gonna be the dick that broke up with the girl whose family just died exactly what's wrong with you buddy like what's going on here you know it's just like you're nasty you're gross and I love that film I love that shot like that scene where she's trying to talk to Christian about going on his trip and she is like trying so hard just trying so hard and he is literally just like closed the door not even talking to her not even picture. he's just like oh my gosh maybe if i don't say anything she maybe if i don't move close my eyes and don't say anything she won't see me and she'll just leave like buddy you're in her room mm-hmm. like, what mm-mm, mm-mm, no 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 and them going to the festival what's the festival's name like the actual was, festival's name? I forget that it was just in my head. Like it was just there and then it left me. I have to I have to look it up. Midsummer. Wow, this is hello. So Mid Samar. Samar. 
the Midsummer Festival. I was trying to find the like not Midsummer Festival. I was trying to find the name that they called it. Housing Land. The Harga. Yes, the Harga. Right, That's what right. it's called. The Harga. Yeah. So what do you uh Glenn, tell me like your first thoughts when you watch the movie, like the scene with Christian and like them arriving at the Harga. What were your thoughts? So here's the thing. So I already knew, obviously, because there was a lot of hype around this movie. Um, like I already knew like some of the very basic elements of it before I watched it. So I knew that it had something to do with a cult. I knew that it had something to do with a toxic relationship. Um, and so my eyes were already like kind of out for that, uh, like right, right to begin with. Um, and so the first thing that I noticed is like how like, you know, they got off their plane and then they had like their ride to like the actual like field, like the, the village or whatever. Um, and how they mentioned how it was like four hours. And I was like, that's isolation right there. Like, um, I know, like, obviously, like, it's supposed to be isolated because, like, it's supposed to be, like, you know, his family village, blah, blah, blah. But at the same time, they're four hours away from anyone who could possibly help them. So that's something that I noticed right away. Like, oh, they're trapped. Like, it doesn't look like they're trapped, like, you know, obviously to them, but, like, they are. They, they can't escape. And they don't. Ooh, oh, sorry. Spoilers. No one escapes. Um, uh, I mean, if you listen to this podcast, you haven't seen the movies. I'm sorry, but we're just going to spoil them all for you. Yeah, I'm sorry. Um, yeah. So that's one thing that I noticed right away. Another thing that I noticed is, so obviously the field and just Sweden in general is a very beautiful place, especially like this is summer. Everything is bright and colorful and luscious and natural, especially if they're like in an isolated village. These colors should be popping and should be unbelievable. But the filter that they use strips all the color away. The entire film is very gray scale very muted colors very muted tones it's very unnerving and kind of like depressing right away like you are witnessing them like when they first get to the village like they're in like i said like a beautiful valley it should be absolutely amazing you should be seeing all the flowers and the green grass and the bright blue sky and you see none of it you see like hints like you can tell that the grass is green and you can tell that the sky is blue and you can tell that the flowers have colors but you can't see any of them and it just stays like that through the through the entire film and it just it's a very nice i won't call it subtle because it is rather blatantly obvious but it's a nice like i guess lower like less obvious way of like making the viewers feel like something isn't right Mm -hmm. um throughout the entire movie i really like that that's something that stuck out to me right away yes i also love the shot when they're driving towards the harga mm -hmm. and the camera does that thing where it spins upside down oh yeah like sleep yes like the first time i ever seen a camera do that was in black panther which is like oh these are changing now these are different and it's mm -hmm. different from like when you see uh Killmonger go walk up to that throne and sit down on it you really do feel it like in your body they're like oh everything is messed up like these uh -huh. things are bad but when you're watching Midsummer and the movie does start darker dreary a lot of like gray coloring like even when uh Christian is in like the like I don't know cafe the american deli i don't know where he's at mm -hmm. with his friends and they're all like chit-chatting and talking 
it's well lit but it's still like that weird overcast color yeah that gives it like that kind of little like mm, it's a bit dreary like is it mm-hmm. raining here like what's going on and then the camera starts to turn upside down as they're driving towards the harga yes it gets a little brighter like there's a little more like the coloring mm-hmm. you know the resolution like the concentration on it like it's a little more yellow a little brighter a little like more sunnier a little it's a happier vibe and it gives you that opposite feeling because like oh they're going to um they're going to a commune it's isolated it's a festival da 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 yeah and they're going to be closed off from people and the camera is telling you that things are going to change but the lighting is telling you it's happy it's fine exactly. nothing's mm-hmm. wrong but at the same time you're like commune scary isolated white people like we don't know what's gonna go down it's that feeling of like you should be on your guard but at the same time it's so beautiful and sunny out here. Like, how can how can you think something nihilistic and terrible is going to happen? Oh, absolutely, you know absolutely. I mean? Wait, speaking of camera shots, I need to talk about this one that happened a little bit before, and then I'll continue on with like the the eerie feelings. Um, one of maybe okay, maybe just because I was sucker for transitions, but one of my favorite shots in the entire movie was it was near the beginning, and it's when like they were arguing. It was. When Christian was like, okay, so she's going to come, like, she says she's going to come, but she's not actually going to come. And, like, he's just, like, confirmed with all of her friends, uh, Mm -hmm. all of their friends. And then, like, when she's talking to Pell, and it's just the two of them, and, like, he brings up, like, you know, I'm sorry that, like, you know, your family died. And she gets sick. um, And then she gets up, and she runs, and she runs into the bathroom, and she closes the door. And it's the airplane bathroom. Yes. Like, I love that. We skipped over all the will she, won't she come, because we all know that she's going to come. Otherwise, there isn't a movie. So instead of, like, dragging it on and, like, making the audience have to sit through something that is pointless, they just, like, cut. They're just, like, and they're on the plane. And it was such a a clean shot, too. Yeah, that show was amazing. I remember seeing that. I was like, oh. Wow, we going right into it. Like I, like, like I said, I rewatched it with um a few of my friends like two weeks ago, and like as soon as that happened, one of them was like, "Wait, why is she in an airplane bathroom?" And then like a second later, it clicked. I was like, "Ah, see, isn't that beautiful? Isn't that beautiful?" We skipped mm-hmm. all the nonsense that none of us cared to see. Yeah, we were like straight to the point. Mm-hmm. Y'all finna see her on the field. Yeah, like so. she's on, she's on the trip. Okay, yeah. she, she's going. Anyways, the, the eerie thing that I wanted to talk about, because you mentioned how, like, you know, the camera turned and, like, they're driving to, to the field. Um, the first people that they meet, um, like, once they're actually in the field and, like, walking about, besides, like, the guy that lives there, he, Pell is introducing them to another one of his friends. And one of his friends also brought people. And he mentions, oh, these are two people that I brought from London. Or he says, mm. he says it weird. He says it, like, collected from London or like mm-hmm. gathered from London, something. Because yeah. like these people are from the US, obviously, because Pell is, that's where he was studying, studying abroad or whatever he was doing. Mm-hmm. And he brought them back for the festival. And like, we just assume like, oh, this is a family festival. And like, he just wanted to bring his friends and like some of his friends are working on their thesis. So like, you know, like it's a good opportunity. It like works in multiple facets. And so like, mm-hmm. you know, that's really nice. Like Pell is just being like really kind as like, you know, bringing some friends to this family gathering. And then you hear that, other people are collecting or bringing friends. So suddenly it's not Pell doing like an amazing, like doing like a kind, like sweet thing and just like bringing friends. It's like, no, we were supposed to bring people. And why are you supposed to bring people to a family event? 
that's suspicious. That instantly made me very scared. I was like, wait a second, what? Yeah. You were people. You were supposed to be collecting people to come here. That and like like I said, I already knew like loosely that it was somehow involving a cult. Um, so that like instantly shook me. I was like, I want. I rewatched it to make sure that I heard it right, and I did. Um, yeah. and that's that scared me. <laughs> I remember the brother saying that he had collected these people mm-hmm. and it wasn't lost on me that he said collected like he gathered them like they're material objects like yeah. they are like I gathered like these sheep mm-hmm. you know for us it wasn't also wasn't lost on me that they were like the only other people of color there yeah you know and I love I love Simon and his girlfriend I'm so I'm sad that I forgot her name because I those two people wait like the the london people yeah the london it's people. simon and connie so, okay simon and connie all right i would have never guessed her name was connie i would have thought it was something else but simon and connie they were honestly like my little like favorite part of the movie i like, know yes yeah, like them two together like they're actually like in love with each other and they're like actually like it's such a stark difference <laughs> from the scene we saw, like the tense, horribly awkward, just like, oh, scene with uh, Christian. And see, that's Danny. why we had to have them. That's mm-hmm. why we had to have them. Yeah. And you see, like, Simon just has his arm around Connie. He's kissing her hand. He's like putting his hand in hers. He's like feeding her. Oh my her God. Face. Does Simon like, actually her- like Connie? Imagine. <laughs> Imagine liking the person you're in a relationship with. Oh my with. God. <laughs> Imagine staying in a relationship with someone because you like them, not because you're a piece of shit. You know, you can't get in a relationship with anyone else because you ain't shit. Christian Imagine can Imagine that. Christian can't even, like, express... It's, can't, Christian can't even, like... Christian could spell his own name if you ask him to. And I... Watching it, like, those two together, and it was just, like, a little thing to root for. And it's, like, those little pieces of, like, joy, those little pieces of, like, oh, happiness. Like, those little... Mm-hmm little like sparks you see that they're dropping in the film to kind of like ease the tension that you felt in that first shot which is like why which is why it was so unnerving when simon just left without connie uh uh-huh like absolutely not no christian would i mean not that he did but like christian would leave without danny but simon would never leave without connie no absolutely not absolutely not simon wakes up connie to let her know that he's going to the bathroom and we'll be right back like Mm -hmm. that's the type of person that simon is yes yes that is the sweet that's a thoughtfulness that simon possesses and i want to talk about that like when oh gosh i believe it was after that scene with the elders Mm -hmm. when like the cliff jump scene Uh uh-huh oh my god we before i don't want to get into that yet i want to talk about simon and connie okay, real okay, quick. Okay. okay so when connie is looking around for simon because they are going to leave they're like that was weird we we didn't like that that it's yeah. so well with us we have to go so connie is running around looking for simon with her backpack on and the elder comes up to her and he's, and he's like simon left already and she's like what do you mean like mm-hmm. oh he got into the truck with um homeboy and he left it's like, why would he leave without me? It's like, oh, I don't know. I mean, there's a train that stops at this time and we are this far away. So they had to go right now. So he's like, he wouldn't have left without me. Like, why would he leave without me? And like, oh, well, there's not enough room in the truck. She's like, I could have sat in his lap and gone with him. And the elder is like, oh, well, we respect the traffic laws here. 
So, you know, we can find someone else to bring you there or we can wait till he gets back. And she's like, so confused. And she is just not with it. She's, this man's trying so hard to convince her of this bullshit lie. And she's looking at him in the face. She's like, hey, buddy, what's not clicking? I don't believe you. And the thing is, Danny's right there listening to the whole thing, mm -hmm. like listening to this conversation. And the guy ushers Connie away. He's like, I'll help you get to the train station. Come with me. Come with me. And after that scene, um, Christian is talking to the people that work at the commune. And he is, he's asking them like, um, I forget how this came up exactly, but he asked about inbreeding. Yeah. Just because it's like a small like village community and like stuff like that, you know, like you, there's limited options, obviously. Yeah. And he says, oh, the oracle that they have, he is the result of inbreeding. Mm -hmm. And so now I'm sitting here like, if y'all are cool with that, explain to me how you are being traffic laws. Yeah. Like I don't something you. who is not clicking. I don't believe you. You're trying to give me a corner piece and I'm in the middle of the puzzle. So yeah. what's up? What's up? These things don't fit. What's going on? And Danny has this dream where Christian leaves her behind and she's like choking on the smoke mm -hmm. of it. Like the smoke, the carbon monoxide, the same way her family was choking on it yeah. when mm -hmm. they died. And I was just like, nah. No, because that is something Christian would do. He would Absolutely. have left her behind. Because when I saw that, when I saw that the first time, I was like, they did. I like, I, I didn't think that was a dream. Until like, you know, the carbon monoxide started coming out of her mouth. I was like, these bitches would. They really would. Without a second thought. Yeah. And her, like, it's her holding on to like, Christian being her last bit of family left, the last bit of like, familiarity to her. The last, like, the only person that she's known for so long and somehow knows her and she knows this relationship isn't the best but she has to hold on to it and him leaving is like her losing her family her choking on that Carolyn outside it's like mm -hmm. that was so visceral to me her choking on it and then it flashing back to the elders I was just like no it's too much it's just like and then immediately after that dark scene it's bright it's sunny it's quiet you hear the birds chirping you see kids running through the fields and you forget all about that yeah yeah it's it's wild and let's we can talk about the elder scene okay okay <laughs> oh my gosh um so here's the thing mm -hmm. i like i one thing i love about the scene is just how everybody processed this traumatic event like all the outsiders mm -hmm. process this traumatic event differently because like some of them were like immediately like horrified. Some of them were stunned silent. And then like, you know, were horrified later. Some of them were just kind of like stood there shaking or like crying and like they were struggling to process it. But I like that wasn't just like a blatant, like everybody's just like screaming and like crying and then like nothing happens afterwards. Because like, let's be realistic. If you're, if like you're in a group of people and you all see something traumatic like that happen, you're going to have different reactions. Mm -hmm. I really like that all those different reactions were explored. I have to say, like, when they're talking about how they split up the years, like, they split up into 18-year seasons. Mm -hmm. So you have different things to do in different times of your life. And they do that because everybody is healthy, people live long, and it's just part of the ritual. It's just part of how they do these things and how people, like, live their lives. Like, everything is dictated by your seasons they have rituals it is a way of like worshiping the cycle of life itself but it's also the way they dress it up because like you know they're all dressed in white 
and they have like flower crowds and mm. it's so beautiful and light outside it's so lovely and it seems just so angelic and peaceful and for everyone to be able to live in this community and to live a long life without having to worry about like sickness or where their next meal is going to come from or like it's just surrounded by people who care about them if they die a horrible tragic death it's okay because they've lived this beautiful long peaceful life and we celebrate their life and the way that they're dying it's so different it's such a stark difference from like beautiful peaceful community and you just yeeting someone off a freaking cliff and then going bonk on someone's head see but at the same time like if you listen to their logic you mm-hmm. can understand why at the very least it makes sense to them mm. like especially when they mentioned how it's better to die like at your own choosing than to just sit and wait for your body to slowly deteriorate because like like the idea of like slowly waiting for your body to deteriorate one just is just like gross and annoying it's like one of the worst parts about getting old everyone will agree with that but two it also really wouldn't fit with their lifestyle they're very like community lifestyle and having people who no longer contribute to the community just doesn't make sense obviously there's a lot of real cultures that like the elders do some sort of thing similar maybe not as graphic obviously but something similar to that because once you get too old you can't contribute anymore and then now you're a burden on society instead of being able to help it so they have similar things that they do um Mm -hmm. and like it makes sense in the culture i like how they use that when like connie and simon are like scared and freaking out immediately after they saw that one of the elders is explaining to them like why it makes sense that they do it and it's just logical enough to calm them down um without like obviously fully justifying or explaining what happened and making it seem okay yeah and it like the thing is is that i remember william jackson harper's character um, Pell said that we're going to do this tomorrow, but he said like the terminology in Swedish, I think mm-hmm. it was, I don't remember the name of it right now. And William Jackson Harper, his, he, he knows what it is. Like his eyes light up and he's like, oh, everyone's looking at him like, what, what's going on? What's going to happen? He's like, you'll see tomorrow. And then we say, and he's like, oh, 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 we actually doing this. Oh, I thought it was a prank. Never mind. Whoa. That was a prank. Whoa, 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 whoa. Slow your roll. The prank like, is on you, actually. Oh. Also, William Justin Harper's character, the fact that he kind of knows so much about what's going on, and yet he kind of like, he kind of makes stupid decisions throughout the I mean, movie. it is a little bit of a horror movie. They kind of have to make. Yeah. But decisions. when he's like, it's okay if I record this, it's okay if I take pictures of this, it's like, buddy. Like, no, no, clearly. No. And they're like, yeah, sure. It's okay as long as it's it's pre-approved by the elders. And of course, him being like a smart cultural anthropology student and him being curious about something that he's never been exposed to is something he's only known about through books and him like seeing this. Like, he was obviously freaked out by the elders dying. Mm -hmm. But as he's there more, you could kind of see like there's this curiosity that's kind of like blossoming and budding inside of him. And he cannot curb this curiosity. And it gets to the point where like one of the people in the village shows him the books 
you know, the prophecies, yeah, da, 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 uh, yeah. the guy that the kid writes. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> he wants to take a picture of it or he wants to like copy it or take it down, whatever. And the guy's like, no. Yeah. Absolutely mm-hmm. not. That's not under no circumstances. Under no circumstances can you do that. And what does he do? He went to sleep with his shoes on. He gets up in the middle of the night to go and take pictures of the And then what happened to him after? Oh, got he's hit dead. over the head. But oh, the he's kid, dead. Yeah. Hmm. The weirdest part of that scene to me was when the kid started echoing his, um, he got hit over the head and then William Jesse Harper's making this weird like groaning sound and the kid starts echoing it. And I'm like, huh? It's this weird thing. Yeah. Like the people in the village, they like to mirror your emotions. They like to be like, I'm hurting you, but I feel your pain at the same time. Like, no, babe. I got hit over the head. Mm-hmm. You're just mocking me. All exactly. right. Wait, calm down. Just finish the job. What we doing? Like, what's going on? You know? Yeah. Also, Christian, uh, he really, he, wow. He's horrible. He came to the trip not knowing what to do for his project. And he was like, I'm going to do my report on this. We was like, get. buddy, I was, I already did it. I'm doing that now. He's like, oh, well, I can put my name on it. No, like I've done the research. I've been taking the notes. I've been taking the pictures. I've been doing all this. I've been asking questions. I've been interviewing people. And you saw all the work I was putting in and you realized that you, your lazy butt wasn't doing nothing. So then you're like, oh, I'll just hop on here and, you know, just kind of co-op. Like, no, buddy. No, 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 no. You're not colonizing my project. No. Oh. <laughs> and eventually, of course, William had to be like, fine. And like, kind of like let him, like do it with him alongside with him and then suddenly homie goes missing and then christian could not care less when people start going missing simon and connie are missing and danny's like genuinely concerned and christian's like oh maybe they just left yeah like he doesn't care like she tells him the the full story of that guy being completely weird to connie and he's just like shrugging he's just like whatever He's like, oh, he literally immediately goes back to his conversation about incest. Mm, literally doesn't care about anyone but himself. Mm-hmm. Like, so I've never met somebody who can't, like, for a second, put yourself in someone else's shoes. Like, it's all about you. Anyone it's all about you, you're doing it wrong. Like, oh, gosh, so selfish in, like, the worst way possible, too. Also, it's a good thing he's dead. <laughs> oh, oh. Also, when Will Porter goes missing, that, the fact, like, I love that they dropped in Will Poulter going missing and just, like, ignored it. It was like, oh, yeah, that guy was a dick. Like, he was literally walking around being like, oh, these girls are probably virgins. And he, like, pissed on their tree. That's why, I... they, that's why they cut his dick off. Oh, gone. <laughs> Sliced. The thing is, is that, like, I've never been to a commune, and I don't plan on going anytime soon. But if you're going to a secluded area where people have rituals and traditions and da, 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 all this stuff, and you see some random tree in the middle of a field, that tree is supported. That tree has significance. Like, and do they not have bathrooms there? Sorry, is this the first time you've peed in the five days since you've gotten there? Or do you know where you could have gone to the bathroom? He was doing that on purpose. Like, he was just like, let me piss them off. Let me piss off the people that yeeted those old people off the cliff. Like they're and now not he's dead. anything to me. Yeah. Ooh. How Ooh. are you a how are you an anthropology student and you can't even have respect for other people's culture? 
well, maybe he's just not good anthropology student. He's very much of the C minuses get degrees mentality. He's definitely a legacy student. Oh, he was definitely a legacy. I mean, for the record, just the actor gives off that vibe whenever he's yeah. in like a school or college related thing. That's just like, it's just the face. It's just the face. Will I'm Poulter sorry, Will. I'm sorry, Will Poulter. Is... It's just the face. <laughs> Hollywood has built a box of the dick who thinks he's sort of their own else, and they took Will Poulter and they like hammered him in there. It's like, you're not getting out of here. This is yeah, problem. we're talking about typecasting. We were talking about yeah. Mike Gosling. No, 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 no. Will Poulter. Will, Poul- <laughs> Will Poulter will never play the good guy. Type Never. I'm sorry, buddy. It's just your face. It is what it is. Like, we all saw Bandersnatch. You know what I mean? Like, true. True. You're but just Will Porter there. did that. You, you did see, though, Will Porter has had a major glow up. Mm-hmm. His face is still the same. Yeah. But he no longer looks like a bratty child. And that oh. I do appreciate. He looks like a bratty stockbroker now. I mean, he, an he would wake up at 5 a.m., work out. He eats a Chipotle. Okay, first of all, you are not... No, 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 no. We are not going to use eats a Chipotle as an insult here. All athletic (laughs) douchey stockbroker guys eat a Chipotle. Okay. They all do. Can I get double chicken? Okay, but also all college students, okay? As a college student, if I'm going out to eat, it's McDonald's or it's Chipotle. Right. Anyways, I just felt a little bit attacked. But the important thing is... Will Porter, God, nobody missed him. Nobody also, was like, oh my gosh, yeah. I wonder where he is. Literally no one cared that he was gone. No one at all. No one was looking for him. No one was checking for him. No. That girl came up to him and she's like, follow me. And just out of nowhere. And now he was, um, I don't know what the proper term is, but like cut open from the back. Organs oh yeah, he was out. like Strung up. out. Yeah. Yeah. Danged away. I think they put like sunflowers in Simon's eyes. Mm-hmm. I was just like, that was uh-uh. the best he ever looked too. That was the best he ever looked. I was just like, why would you do this to my man? Why would you do this to him? Why? <laughs> I love him so much. I actually liked him. The ones you like the most always die first. I was like, what the heck, buddy? What the heck, man? Yeah, but okay. We need to talk about Danny. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I also do want to say it's interesting that the guy's name is Christian because it plays in like the post-pagan era. Like this is supposed to be like a pagan cult in a way. Yeah. And Christianity has like some force of it, da, 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 all that mm-hmm. stuff. And it's like killing that um, kind of like, oh, this is the religion that you all follow that is the most popular one in the world. Yeah, let's burn it alive in a bear suit. That's mm-hmm. what I think about that. I just wanted to bring that up because I saw that when I was doing my research the other day and I was like, oh yeah, that's interesting. His name is Christian. Obviously that didn't go like, that wasn't like just a thing that the director just threw in. That's obviously meticulously planned. Well, see, obviously it's meticulously planned, but it's planned in again, like the subtle way. Like Christian is just Mm -hmm. a very common name over here in the US. And so like, we don't think about the fact that his name is Christian until we realize that his name is Christian. You know, it's just smart. Yeah, and just like con- conflict avoiding, doesn't even like consider others. Just like <sighs> dry as a bone, Christian. And I have mm-hmm. to say, um, I was I remember when Midsummer first came out. All these articles kept coming out. It was like breaking down what happened in that one scene and how the the movie told us all along. And I was like, how did y'all watch this movie and not understand exactly what was happening point by point? 
it wasn't that confusing. No, I would actually argue this is the only negative thing I will say about it. And it's not like too negative. Um, it was a little bit heavy handed. Like it really, it like mm. beat you over the head with its points. I will have to agree with that. But also I felt like, I wouldn't say heavy handed really. I would just say like, I got it. Like I understand. And I, I guess, like yeah, because heavy handed is a little bit like subjective. Maybe I just, maybe we just, maybe I just got it quickly. And so when they kept bringing up, I was like, I already got it. I, I already it. got it. I but it. clearly somebody didn't get it at all. Clearly mm. some people watched that entire movie and managed to dodge every single point they made. The amount of mental acrobatics that it takes to miss every mm. single point Midsummer made, like go out for the Olympics, Queen, because you'll make <laughs> it. Okay. Gold medal athlete right there. Come on now. Mental gymnastics, you get a gold star in that. But when Christian is being, I guess, courted, preyed upon by the girl, I know um, the actress. Wait a second, he's being bewitched because you oh, saw yeah, that she, she like she like bewitched his drink and everything. Mm-hmm. When the camera showed that long ass blanket with the freaking horror story of the woman cutting off her pubes and putting uh-huh. in a pie, I'm like, oh. And then the girl is looking at Christian like, mm-hmm. I found him. I found the one. I was like, oh. And then for buddy. some reason, I'm, I'm not sure, but for some reason, Christian's lemonade was a little bit darker than everybody else's. That's all It I'm was saying. a little pink. Mm-hmm. A pink lemonade, if you will. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Mm. Did, did he, was he just the only one who requested pink lemonade? Mm. Mm. Also, every time he drank that lemonade or took a bite of his pie, he made direct eye contact with that girl. And then Danny kept looking like, like who she why are you looking at her also the actress i know that she's like 21 22 when the movie was shot ari (laughs) ari knew what he's doing casting an actress who looks like she's 14 years old well obviously obviously they want to add to the um i guess like the the gross feeling of it Mm -hmm. but they did in the proper way they can add to the gross feeling without actually having a gross age difference cuties Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but when Christian goes into the room with the woman and she's like, yes, she has chosen you to be her mate, to be her partner. I was like, oh gosh. I was like, is... you were, I was like, queen, you chose the wrong one. Like I know there aren't any hey, others left because hey. you already killed all the other outside males, but this is not the one. What about his slouched posture and the fact that his hands are always in his pockets makes you think he's going to be a good mate? Also, you've heard him talk, right? What makes you think that, like, he'll be passing on anything favorable to your children? He says, um, more than he says any other word in any sentence. Absolutely. Absolutely. I made a joke when my friends watched it with me, like, two weeks ago. They were like, why does she want him? And I said, well, duh, they're trying to make another oracle. That's the plot twist. And they believed oh, me. Oh, they oh. believed that, like, the movie was going to kind of find a way to say that they were related. Oh, my god! And it makes a lot more sense than what the movie actually does, which is, I don't even know how to explain what it did. <laughs> I have to say, when he got to going, and I, it, if you have to have an old woman help you with your stroke game, buddy, that's what you got to pack it up. How did you got to pack it up? <laughs> she came behind him. She's like, wait, hold up. But it's only that's like, yes, come on. Come Can on we make it through one pocket, one podcast without talking about dick game? Because we've been failing. <laughs> Buddy, you're not doing it right. She really was like, hold on, let me help you. Let me yeah. help you. 
and it's like it's creepy enough that like all these women are watching you it's like oh yeah that's why would you like he's like oh i'm gonna have a few performance issues no that's not it that's not it this is this isn't even your best do you have viagra something that i could take because i'm a little bit uh they they, gave him that yeah they did do it yeah (laughs) even with that psychedelic it wasn't enough Mm -hmm. it was just like you got to get out of your head my guy we're trying to make a baby all right this isn't playtime okay this isn't like you know after um your dinner date and y'all are about to go to bed you're just like let's just get it in like this is come on she's trying to have a baby this she is just had a period. let's go this is one and done let's go. okay you let's get go. one shot the ovaries are ready buddy it's not, tell your man to march tell your man to swim i felt so bad for danny when she saw that she looked through the freaking hole of the fence and she saw it and then she went into the room start crying and she saw and it all... i feel sorry for her seeing his pasty ass and then like all the women like crowded around her and then started just like cry along with her and when she breathed in and she let out that scream and they all screamed at the same time i was like oh this this what oh gosh this is like a different kind of sisterhood because mm-hmm. it's like i just watched my boyfriend just melt a 14 year old it's like yes let it out let us release as well let us release as well and they're just doing it at the same time so it's like that little i just ooh, ooh. danny being indoctrinated into this commune just makes me believe more it was the commune that took out her family because the way that her family died was so brutal and so horrible i you can't tell me it was you can't you can't convince me otherwise that it wasn't an outside force who did it because with Pele being at the grad school trying to bring in these people to the commune and his brother being in London trying to bring in Connie and Simon. You ain't telling me they got other outside agents? There aren't other people out there working on the dime? As much as I think it would make it a lot more interesting, I think it might be too far of a stretch to say that the community did it. I think it would make it a better story. It's not that far of a stretch. I'm very flexible. So I'm going to do the stretch. I'm very flexible. I'm gonna stretch. All right, all right. All right. I'm gonna reach. Call me Elastigirl, sister, because I'm gonna get it. I'm gonna, I'm gonna I'm reach. I'm reach. Let's believe. You can't convince me otherwise. Ari Aster could tell me himself that that was not the point, and I'll be like, buddy, you're wrong. Don't believe you. You're wrong. You did you not watch, watch your, your own movie? movie. <laughs> watch your movie. Watch it back and tell. Me, explain to me how she. Explain to me. No. No. Don't try, don't try to poke holes at my logic. All right, sir. <laughs> but yeah. So let's talk about Danny for a second. <laughs> the entire, the main character, the true main character of this whole thing. What, what do you think about Danny being put into this commune? So her being put into the commune, um, like you said, it feels very, very chosen, very we picked her out from the beginning very very anakin skywalker yeah very anakin skywalker very much so oh my god you won the dancing competition now you get to be no we planned this mm-hmm. queen these are professional ring around the rosy dancers and you just came in and beat them <laughs> um but i like it obviously um i feel like it would be a little bit more annoying if everyone died uh mm-hmm. so you know the fact that she got to be there she's their queen i'm not exactly sure how much power that gives her um but she's alive and she's happy and that's what's really important yeah i i remember watching the movie for the first time 
and like watching the film and be like, this is how people are inducted into these kind of societies. You know, you don't have a family, you don't have a very secure life back mm-hmm. in just like the real world. So you see this community that from the very day that people are born are put to task and they have a purpose and people live a life so long that they go out in a way that is chosen and surrounded by community and they celebrate that life. They take care of one another. They feed each other. No one is forgotten. Kids are taught well. Everyone eats well. Everyone is together in oneness and whole. And even when you're sad and you're going through something horrible, they feel that pain together because you're all alike. You're all the community. Mm -hmm. And that can draw in somebody who feels alone and feels unstable and feels sad and feels like they've lost a lot and just wants to be a part of something. And when Danny wins the little like midsummer, she becomes the Mayweather queen and they're like, the people are embracing her, the people are hugging her. You see a woman that's not smiling, walk past Danny and Danny makes eye contact with that lady. And she's like, mom? And then goes, gone. Seeing like the visual representation of her family leaving her, like her physical family, her letting go of the family that she had that died and her letting go of that grief and embracing her new family, embracing her new life. And her Mickey O was pale. I was just like, oh, wow. I was like, oosh, yeesh. And that happened. I was like, dang, bye, Christian. You got to hit the deuce, buddy. Like, it's not about you no more. Bye. It's not about (laughs) you no more. And her just blessing the crops and the ending with christian you know it's like this kind of like like i said in the podcast we're talking about um, unreliable uh, narrators it's the good for her film yeah you know she's been through so much oh my gosh she's gone through so much she's like she's dealt with so much and her life is so scary and now these very kind people that ye elders off a bridge that believe in inbreeding that cut open two people and splay their organs out to feed their crops. They've taken her in as their Mayweather queen and they will never hurt her because she's she's their Mayweather queen. They love her. And at the end, she smiles in like retribution as yeah. like revenge because she's finally gotten what she's looking for. She has a family, she has a community she feels taken care of. She doesn't have this boyfriend that's conflict avoided and doesn't even like consider her feelings in any kind of way, but she has a boyfriend who loves her and cares about her and worships her even because she is literally a queen. And she has a community of people that usher her into this warm light. But how warm is that light? How trustworthy are these people? See, and so obviously, obviously it is a little bit up for interpretation, like how wonderful are these people blah 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 but like at the same time we don't see this community of people actively hurting their own like obviously they attack the outsiders um and you know like they have their ritual with their elders but they never hurt their own people and now that danny is their own i feel like she'd live essentially a normal life as like you know as like anyone else in their village would live until obviously she turns 72 and then like she dies with everyone else. Um, I don't like, I didn't get the impression that Danny is in danger there, or at least in any more danger than any other person who's living in that uh, community is. I see, I had that same, I thought the same way when I saw the movie for the first time. And then I watched it again and again. And they talk about how this is like, a festival they do festival they do every 90 years like 
it's tradition, it's a ritual, da 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 da. And I'm sitting here watching it and I'm just getting uneasy. You know, I'm just sitting here like, no, this doesn't, because we're supposed to believe that like she's safe here, that she's okay here. And I like, there's just something itching at me that's like, mm mm. Mm-mm. we're supposed to believe that she's fine like this is okay like this is like she's safe here now and I was just like because mm. she's even though they've accepted her as a Mayweather queen she's still not really a part of the community she's still an outsider and I don't have any other evidence as to why I feel this way but it was just something inside me was like Mm-mm. No, Mm-mm. no this is, this is not good this bad like she had to find happiness through a commune and we're supposed to trust these people after they've killed like how many people? True. Seven. True. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Throw it away. Don't do. No. 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 I don't like it. I don't like it. I don't like it. So yes, that. I mean, that's basically how I feel about Midsummer. Mm-hmm. Same. Do you have same. any other points? Um, I don't think so. I think okay. we covered basically everything that I want to talk about. Cool. Awesome. So. Um, I'm thinking I want to get into Candyman and then we can like go into Get Out. Okay. Because it would be interesting to see, talk about Jordan Peele's most recent male film and then talk about his first movie that really mm-hmm. like sparked the interest in him as a director. Okay, okay, go ahead. So, all right. So I am going to be talking about the 2021 film uh, Candyman. Uh, I'm going to refer to it as CM because I'm very superstitious. Mm-hmm. Don't make fun of me, please. Okay. Uh, essentially, <laughs> um, the 2021 film uh, CM it was directed by Nia DaCosta, and it is essentially a sequel to the first film, and it is set 27 years after the events of the first film in, 20, in 2019. Mm. The 1992 film CM uh, starred had the urban legend of the Candyman. And it follows the graduate student, uh, Helen, Helen Lyle. She is researching urban legends for like a paper or something like that. And she learns of the man CM, a spirit. If you say five times in the mirror, he comes and he kills the person. She's inspired to take on this project after learning about a recent murder and learning about dozens other attributed to that man. And she goes to work there. She goes to Cabrini Green with her friend Bernadette to learn about the legend, to learn about the people who live there. And as she takes the time to learn more about it, she learns that CM was born in the late 1800s and he was a painter. And he was pretty well known. He would paint like white people for like the portraits and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. He fell in love and he impregnated a white woman. And then the father sent a lynch mob after him. They cut off his right hand. They smeared him with honey and the bees stung him to death and they burned him. And then the white people watched him die in such a gruesome murder. And his ashes were scattered across the land on which Cabrini, ground, Cabrini Green was built. So there have been... The legend of CM has been spread around generation through generations. And in the original film, Helen Lyle sees him. And I'm gonna get the events a little mixed up. I'm just gonna go like broad strokes here. Okay. Essentially, the bad guy, he steals a baby and he tries to like, I think, kill the baby. 
Helen stops him. He gets in a bonfire. She saves the child. The mother, who is Anne Marie, I believe, takes her child. Helen dies. She succumbs to her injuries, and she later becomes a vengeful spirit as well in the same vein of Candyman. Now, when we go to the 2021 um, kind of sequel to the first film, we are talking to um, Brianna. She is like an art developer. She like curates art and stuff like that. And there's Anthony, who is her boyfriend. He is a visual artist as well. He's struggling. He's trying to find inspiration. And um, she's having dinner with Anthony. It's Brianna. It's her brother and her brother's boyfriend. And her brother is her son the story of CM. But he retells it in a different way where Helen Lyle was going crazy as she was killing black people in the projects and then she died in a bonfire and this kind of creates a spark in anthony's mind to roam around cabrini green for inspiration as he's roaming around he's taking pictures he gets stung by a bee uh, <laughs> he gets stung by a bee and his hand starts to like form bubbles like boils and stuff okay yeah he meets a guy burke who works on Laundromat, who is one of the only residents of Cabrini Green because 2019 Chicago overtaken by gentrification, new developments, old housing projects that were, that had black people growing up in there. And the, the, of course the city takes out the resources. We take out the resources that people leave, they tear down the buildings you build new ones. And with gentrification taking away black people's homes and black people's culture, the legend of Candyman essentially has died in the year 2019. No one really talks about it. No one really cares. Mm-hmm. So Anthony goes to the laundromat and he he doesn't go to the laundromat. No. He's walking around Cabrini Green. He's walking around the like abandoned houses and Burke is just kind of like there and he meets him and he talks to him about, you know, the boogeyman. And they're talking about the legend and talking about where he comes from. And so Anthony decides to create an entire art exhibit about CM. You know, and the main title of the exhibit is like, say his name, talking about CM, talking about he like hurt and how he terrorized these neighborhoods and how these are oftentimes black men being hurt by white violence and how these communities are being destroyed by violence and how oftentimes white people come and like take out the resources, da, 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 all that. And when you're watching the movie, you see that like Brianna, smart, charismatic, sophisticated, Anthony is kind of like a ragamuffin. Okay. So it's kind of like she has her own established career, kind of, and she's already dating him. So she kind of brought him into it. Like she let him, she gave him this kind of start. Like she's the reason he could put his piece in the art museum. Mm-hmm. And people are kind of walking around, you know, affluent white people are looking at this. It's like, uh huh. Mm-hmm. Nice. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Black trauma, interesting. Yes, yes. And there's one lady that like sees like his um kind of exhibit and she's like, cute, nice. Mm-hmm. And she's like the art like girl. And she's just kind of like, it's kind of been done before. And she kind of just like rushes past him. So we're watching the movie, and it's like struggling artists try to get his name out there, and um homegirl. Is just trying to do her best in the world, right? That night, um, one of the one of the owners of the art museum, I don't know, two white people, like 
a guy, a white guy who's like affluent in the art world and his girlfriend who's like probably like 20 and this guy's like 40, look in the mirror. It's not lost on anybody that like the art exhibit is called Say, to Say His Name and the art exhibit is like covered in like mirrors and reflective surfaces and da 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 da. White girl decides to say his name, right? Five times. Oh my gosh. Of course he comes and he takes her out. When you watch this, as scene, he should. Yeah. <laughs> all these two people dying. Nope. The scene is so well done. Like the way that she dies and the way the guy's trying to run away and it's locked. And you see like an invisible man dragging this guy like a hook in the hands. It's a brutal murder that like happens. And then Brianna goes into the museum that day she sees the murder she's like oh no oh no calls the cops obviously mm. it's spread all over the news um two affluent people in the art world die in regards to like um anthony greens anthony greens what's his name not anthony green anthony mccoy anthony mccoy's um art exhibit say his name da 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 and when you're watching the news talk about like the murder Anthony doesn't care that these people have died. He only cares that they're talking about his art. Yeah. He only cares to talk about his exhibit. And as you, you, the camera zooms in on him. Do you hear the news playing in the background? The camera's on him. His eyes are black, fully black, enlarged kind of. And just like, he is kind of like, the camera does this weird thing where it tilts only slightly, where he kind of seems off kilter, where he seems like he's not himself. And you don't see like the brown in his eyes. So I see the black, his pupils like completely dilated. And he's just like, they said my name. Like they said, Anthony. And they're talking about exhibit. And Brianna's just sitting there on the couch like, my friends died. Yeah. Um, what? Okay. She was distraught. She is I'm, so sad. Now and, I know where your priorities are. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to like lay out the film for you. Kind of like, I don't want to go bit by bit, whole plot. There is one thing I do want to mention in the movie. There is a scene where he goes to visit the white woman who's the art director and she is like a review person, whatever. She invites him to her hotel room to kind of like have an interview. And she fully does not believe in the boogeyman or the legend, anything like that. She doesn't believe him. And Anthony he has been going through some things first of all his arm the little boil on his arm his whole his whole arm disgusting nasty rotted the skin is gone it's peeling it's yeah. disgusting it's not good it looks like leprosy you're seeing it and you're like oh buddy you need to go to hospital how are you walking around this arm and like it's so unnerving this the woman doesn't believe him you she goes to the restroom she looks in the mirror she kind of sighs. She does this little smug thing like Erica's doing. Like, All right, let's see if this works. Breeze in, the camera cuts to him. Mm-hmm. Anthony is just sitting there. He's just like waiting for her. He walks, he's looking around her hotel room. He looks in the mirror. The lights go dark. He looks back at the mirror. He is looking at him. It's not Anthony. It's homeboy. It's the boogeyman. It's the boogeyman looking at him. And the thing is, I think it's Tony, like Tony Todd. He is there. Tony Todd, who's the actor who played the original Candyman, is looking at him in the mirror, and he's like, oh! And they're doing this whole thing with the mirror, and they're like, uh, uh, the little mime routine that people do, like, duh, 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 duh. Yeah, uh-huh, and like uh-huh. the hook, the beads. I'm like, oh my gosh! And he's looking at him, they move back, the beads, and like, 
suddenly he like and then like the woman opens the door to the bathroom and she's like what are you doing and she, he turns around he looks back it's just anthony mm. it's abdul Mantin the second it's nothing to worry about he looks back at her and he sees in the closet in her bathroom tony is just hanging out he waves his hook he goes back in and it's just that little shot where we as the audience could see it and homeboy could see it anthony could see it but the girl, obviously, her back's turned. She's like, what? What's wrong? He's like, I, I, I got to go. He leaves. She leaves as well as she sees him walk at the door. And we're outside of the apartment. So, like, there's, like, you know how hotel rooms have, like, you can kind of see people's living room because yeah. all the windows are, like, top to, like, ceiling to floor? Mm-hmm. Hooked from the back of her neck oh. starts to levitate. The camera pans away. And we do not hear anything but the bustling sounds of the city. And we watch her race, choking, dying, dying as the camera pans away from it. That shot in the movie, I saw that. I was like, oh, that was so good. Oh that was God. so good. I was seeing that. I was like, in theaters, I was, I was like, the movie theater was quiet when that happened. We were all watching. I was like, oh, oh, this is boo. So I'm going to give you. I just wanted to tell you that scene because that was like my mm-hmm. favorite shot of the entire film. Seeing her like seeing her die like that, obviously sad, tragic, whatever. It's a movie, y'all. But this is essentially like I think this is what Nia DaCosta was trying to do with the retelling of Candyman. So the baby that the original Boogeyman took is Anthony, and his mother is Anne Marie. They took they have the same actress, also Vanessa Williams who played Amory in the 1992 film, she is in this movie. And she is telling, she's like, he went to go see her. And um, like, he goes to her and he's like, where was I born? And she's like, oh, you were born like in another hospital somewhere else. He eventually goes to the hospital to get his arm checked out, obviously, because it's completely rotted and disgusted. Mm -hmm. And the nurse is like, oh, Anthony, it's nice to see you again. He's like, I've never been here before. It's like, oh, you were born here. The hospital is so close to Cabrini Green. So he's like, I wasn't born here. I was born somewhere else. She's like, no, you're born here at this hospital. This is what your records say. So he goes to see his mom and he's like, where was I born? And she's like, you were raised in Chicago, but you were born in Cabrini Green Housing Projects. And he's like, am I the baby from the fire? And she's just like, yes. And it's so heartbreaking to see her, to retell the story and talk about Helen Lyle what happened to her and how she died and how she saved Anthony Mm. and it's I like this is the thing about the film is that like I feel like Nia Nia DaCosta and Jordan they were trying to like juggle the parts of retelling the legend staying true to the plot um developing the characters giving us you know horror giving us murders giving us scenes it's a horror film you can't put too much lore in it you're kind of relying on the audience to know Candyman and the story before they see this new retelling and I think that in some parts there could have been more character development I feel like we should have like met his mama sooner or like we should have learned a little bit more about the story I just wish they kind of fleshed out the story a bit more you know because overall I like the film I thought it was really good Mm -hmm. and I like the new take on the film talking about how like um Housing projects in Black culture is often taken and dominated yeah. by 
white audiences and white violence can destroy black communities and take them apart and how there are legends of these communities that are birthed from the harm and the violence that we've experienced as a people and these legends can be lost these legends can be part of our culture it's tied to us it's also tied to our generational trauma that can be passed down from generation to generation the same way you pass down myths and mm. legends and urban stories of like stories you tell in the dark and the monsters that hide under your bed okay. all these things that you pass on to generation to generation and even like the actors were talking about in interviews how like the film the 1992 film kitty man it's something from their childhood like that horror the monster the story it's something that they learned about and something they watched at a young age mm -hmm. so to be able to retell it in this modern age means a lot to them and as they're watching the movie in the original films, Candy Man is a vengeful spirit who kills anybody who says the same five times. Yeah. In the retelling, it is obvious that like he's supposed to not be the boogeyman that's tearing apart the community that he comes from, but he's the boogeyman that's going after the people that's tearing apart the communities of his people. Yes. Mm -hmm. uh, for so many times, for so long, Candy Man was a one man person, one person, but he was the hive. All these men, like. Like I mentioned, there is this um, character in the movie, Burke. He's the last resident of Cabrini Green who still lives in Chicago and still lives near there. And he runs a laundromat. And Anthony goes to see him very often talking about Candyman. And he, in the beginning of the film, there is a scene where there's a little boy who has to go do laundry in the laundromat. And there's this hole in the wall and it's spooky and it's scary. And you see a man with a hooked hand coming out of the wall. And then the scene cuts. But when you go back to that scene, you see it's just this man, Sherman Oaks. He's just an everyday guy who gives candy to children. And he's a little weird. He's a little creepy. I don't know why he's living in the walls. But he gives candy to this kid, Burke. And Burke is scared at first, but he takes the candy and he leaves. The cops that are posted out in the neighborhood watching over people living their everyday life just posted up in a neighborhood that's heavily policed. Hear the kid scream in the laundromat and beat Sherman senseless, beat him to death and he dies. He's an innocent man. And the reason why they took him out was because there was a little white girl who went trick or treating in their neighborhood and found a candy with a razor blade in it. So they've been looking for Sherman because he gives candy to children and they kill him. When they find out three other people found candy with razor blades after Sherman died. So he's an innocent man. And after he dies, um, Burke's sister, says his name five times in the mirror and she dies and Burke sees him crawl out the window with the hook in his hand this legend that is black men being killed by cops unjustly and their vengeful spirit lashing out at their communities Burke whose character was kind of like there and people like I don't really know why he like he was just like kind of there like I love Coleman Domingo I love him he's an amazing actor it's obvious that like he, him being the last remaining resident of Cabrini Green wants to bring back the projects before it is gentrified once again, like every other neighborhood in Chicago. He has, he realizes that when Anthony walks into the laundromat asking about the boogeyman, he recognizes him as the baby from the fire that Helen mm -hmm. saved. He knows that that's a child and him, Anthony now having this like little inkling, this spark, this obsession with the boogeyman, he feeds into it. Burke feeds into it. So Anthony keeps coming back and coming back to the point where like Brianna, his girlfriend, 
She doesn't know what's going on with him. She doesn't know why he's acting like this. She goes to his studio, paintings after paintings after paintings of men who resemble Emmett Till, look like Tony Todd, look like the other incarnations of the boogeyman. Mm. He has painted this face, different faces of the boogeyman all over his apartment to the point where his own like white um like painters cloth jumpsuit jumper whatever is covered in like red black brown dark paint like rotted just like his arm and when his girlfriend sees this she's like okay so this is unsettling this is not okay i'm breaking up with you i'm not dealing with this no more you got your own things going on i was trying to help you i was trying to give you a leg up in the art world but if you're gonna go down this rabbit hole I'm not going to help you. Because another thing about her, her father was a tortured artist as well. And he became consumed with his own art project in his own world, in his own kind of things that he was trying to create to the point where she has a dream. And in the dream is obviously a flashback. And she's a young girl and she sees her father standing outside a window. And he looks back at his daughter. He's like, you want to see daddy fly? And she is like, she just looks at him. And he's like, watch daddy fly. He jumps out the window, she wakes up. So she obviously has past trauma from mm-hmm. her father being a famous, well-known artist, which is why she has a leg up in the industry because her father's name has kind of given her a position in the art world. And he was so consumed and overwhelmed by expectations of art and wanting to bring out the best, most wonderful piece that it drove him to something very tragic. And she sees this reflected in Anthony that he's going on his own mental break. And she's like, I can't do this again. That's what's going on in her mind. She sees her father in him. She's like, I'm not dealing with another tortured artist again. This is not something in my life that I need to worry about. And Anthony going, like, there are little pieces. There are little things that kind of hint at you that like there's something going on with Anthony. Um, He's in the, there's one scene after she wakes up from that horrible dream that kind of gives us a flash. When we see like, when I saw like that scene with her father, you don't really connect that like, oh, her father is tortured until mm-hmm. she's talking to her brother about her dad and the brother makes this connection from the dad to the to Anthony. And I'm like, oh, oh, baby, you think it's that, but it's so much worse. Mm. It's so much worse. Oh, gosh, girl. How do we explain uh, a hundred, hundred year old urban legend has taken over your boyfriend? Mm, I don't know. I don't know. But there's a scene after she wakes up from the dream. Anthony's just in the bathroom. And the water's running. And she goes up to him and she's like, hey, are you okay? He's like, yeah, I had a bad dream. And she's like, oh yeah, me too. What's the dream about? And he's like, huh? He's like, the dream, the bad dream you had. And he's like, uh, he's like, I, I need a minute. And she's like, what? And he like pushes her out of the bathroom door and she starts, clo- he closes the door. And like, he moves away from the door and his reflection doesn't. Mm-hmm. his reflection is still on the door and i saw that and then the, the scene immediately cuts away i was like no 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 no, go back go back run that back run that back and i was watching with my cousin and she was like what and like did you see that and she was like see what it's like his reflection it didn't move it didn't move he's starting to lose himself he's starting to lose his sense of himself like oh and she was just looking at me like i don't know what you're talking about but i remember that scene so clearly and it was just like oh that those little things that the directors dropped, I wanted more of that. I want more of those little like details that like are hidden in the movie that like you kind of have to like connect to it. But overall, 
the film is meant to be like a retelling of like generational trauma, gentrification, and how those things can tear apart Black communities. And I think the Burke character, Coleman, Coleman Domingo's character, him being the last residing resident of Cabrini Green, wanting to bring it back to the prosperity it once was, he's using the legend of the boogeyman through Anthony to kind of drive in that fear to keep the people from the suburbs out, to keep out the art students, to keep out the kids that want the Whole Foods. He is using this urban legend through this guy who is a tortured artist the same way that um, the first Candyman was, the same way that Brianna's father was. And the scene, it really does come together when Brianna finally goes to the laundromat and she's looking for homie. And she's like, there's no one here. She gets taken and she's taken to the rundown church, the same church that was in the 1992 film. And Burke is just spouting out, you know, how cops come to these cities, these communities, and they're heavily policing us. They're taking out innocent men for these crimes that they have not commit. Because if you remember like the original Candyman movies, it's all kind of like white directors and like white writers. And there's always the white person that kind of saves the day. There's like yeah. the white savior. And it's the, it kind of just repeats this whole thing of like black men hurting white women and black men being monsters and trying to retell that story, trying to make it different. And instead of having someone who's an outsider, the same with directors and the writers of the original Candyman film are outsiders to these housing projects, to these communities, to these stories. You are retelling a story with racism, but you don't really understand racism because you don't experience it. Mm -hmm. And you have a white woman coming in with her camera, trying to like figure out the urban legend and stop it and save the day. This isn't her place. She don't go here. Yeah. Why is she here? So taking back communities, taking back urban legends, taking back the story of Candyman itself. And instead of having an outsider retelling the story once again, having somebody, Nia Costa herself saying that she's a huge fan of the film. She's a huge fan of horror. Jordan Peele, who was literally a horror geek, who like told Nia, he like, Lucia Niago said in the interview, that Jordan Peele told her to watch all these horror films from The Shining to the 2008 like um, vampire film. I forget what it's called. It's like Let There Commence, Let There Something. I forget yeah. what it's called. Mm-hmm. But essentially her talking about how like Jordan knows so much about horror from the like the very beginning to like the new recent things. Like he understands it. He is a nerd. He understands all the symbols, the nuances. To have these two people understand horror and have watched this movie and are from these communities retell this story. I think that the movie Candyman, I think it was a good jumping off point. And I I sincerely think that they should bring in a trilogy. Like I think that there should be a modern trilogy because I like this film. I thought it was really good. I thought it was like um, very smart. I like how they brought out like Anthony going Anthony went to like a college library to learn more about Helen Lyle and it's literally like Virginia Madison's voice he's listening to these tapes of her recordings talking about Cabrini Green and the residents now they're scared of the boogeyman this legends urban myth that they think is real and as you're watching the movie you see like there are white people throughout the whole film being completely arrogant and like this isn't real 
this is a myth. If I say his name five times, he's not gonna pop out. And there is a scene where five like white girls in a high school bathroom summon him. And the shots, like the camera shots, the angles, the different like directions, the different perceptions. Also, there was a random black girl that walked into the bathroom and she like hid in the stall. Obviously a kind of kid like listening to her earbuds and like sensory kind of issues with her. And the, the girl started bullying her, like banging on the door to kind of ignore her, like annoy her. She literally has her headphones over her ears and she at some point sees a kid's a girl's hand under the uh, door in the bathroom and it moves back in blood she's like what the fuck's going on here that scene in the girl's bathroom in the high school i it's just like those things where it's like don't go back there like you went to the door the door won't open the door why won't the door open there's a lot of these bathroom doors what's going on mm. and they'll go to the sink they'll walk it's just like i can't explain it but the way it was shot was so well done and I did like the movie. I just wish that, like, I think it just, like, it can't be a standalone film. You know, I know there's no, there aren't any, like, said plans for a sequel, but they should make a trilogy. Like, they should make a modern-day trilogy of the Candyman films. Because, like, gentrification, generational trauma, okay, cute. Let's go a little deeper. Mm. I want to know about Brianna. I want to know what's going on with her. I want to know if she has her own kind of mental problems in relation to her father and like what's going to go on like in her path and her career because like when you're watching the film Anthony is kind of like on this downward spiral but Brianna in all aspects of the film is doing very well like she's well talked about people like her people like really like respect her there's a guy who never comes to America who's like big in the art world who went to dinner just to meet her and there's another black woman who's like the only other black woman in, in like I don't know, America was like an art curator who went to see her and meet her. Like her career is on the up and up. Mm. And I really would love to see like a second movie of this. I want them to swatch it out more. I also think it should be longer. I feel like it's okay to keep it at a cute 90 minutes, but sometimes, sometimes you need more. Yeah. Sometimes mm-hmm. like it's okay if you want to keep the book a little short, but sometimes you gotta spend a bit more paper, you know, mm-hmm. stretch it out a bit. You know what I mean? We need yeah, more time. Yeah. Because if the movie was a, if the movie, if the second movie is a bit longer, then like, okay, we already know the original Candyman, we know what happened in here, we can spend a little more time in some lore and in some death, mm-hmm, if you know mm-hmm. what I'm saying. And the one thing I don't want to see is some freaking Nikki, freaking Nikki sexy. Uh, I don't need that. Like Tony Todd opening his mouth so Helen could take those bees. That was, I don't want to see none of that. I don't want to uh, see none of that. All right. I don't want to see, also, I don't want to, if there's a sequel, I don't want to see um, the new Candyman getting jealous if Rihanna gets a new boyfriend. Like, you got to beat it, my guy. You got bees in your ribcage. It's not going <laughs> to You got to, you know, but all in all, I think that a lot of people was kind of like, there was a positive reception to the film. I think that some people were a bit mixed and didn't really like it. I feel like people were expecting it to stand up to the original, mm-hmm. which is a, a feat in of itself because the original is so scary and so good and so well done. But um, I think it did the job. And the last scene in the film is, um, the last scene in the film was something so interesting. And I feel like it really did like, um, it's not lost on me that like his art exhibit is called Say His Name in relation to like black violence mm-hmm. in these communities where we see black violence with like the police <clears throat> so similar circumstances 
the last scene in the movie is when Burke finishes the transformation of Candyman with Anthony. And he is so deteriorated and so rotted. And he cuts off his hand and pushes in the hook. And he gives him the jacket and Anthony stands up and Brianna's just tied up in the chair at the church pew. And she's like, nah, she runs. She starts running and it turns into like very quickly, like Blair Witch kind of camera work. We're like shaky and we're watching her run through this like hallway with her phone light on. And she's like tripping, like, girl, if you don't wait, if you don't move, she finally gets out of the church. She's in the Cabrini Granite Projects. Like, I'm thinking, and I'm watching this, I'm like, hold on. He had a laundromat. The church is connected to the the projects. There's a basement. What the heck? What kind of tunnels are y'all building? Yeah. I was kind of like, that was like a backwards thought. But obviously she runs away. She hides. She kills Coleman Domingo because duh. Because like, you killed my boyfriend, but like, what the frick? Like, what's going on? And you see him in his full, like, you see his eye is gone. His half his face is like rotted. He's in the coat. He has the hook. It's like, and she's just looking at him. She's like, Anthony? He's like, he clearly does not respond to that anymore. Like, that's not his name. And you see, like, sirens, lights going in the background. He protects her. Like, he gets shot by the cops in the back. They shoot him, like, three times. She gets arrested. The cop is talking to her. And the cop is, like, sitting in the front. She's in the back. Moves the mirror. So, obviously, we see his face. So, he's looking at her through the review. And she's looking at him, looking at her. And he's like, look, this is what you're going to say in the court. This is what you're going to tell them. Otherwise, we can just tell everybody that you guys are on a killing spree. That you were body cladding it out. She is demented like her father. And he was just unhinged. And she fed him to the wolves. And da-da-da-da, all the stuff trying to feed her story. Da-da-da-da, being like, you can either pin it on him, the guy we already killed, and make us look like the hero. Or we can make you out to be the villain. Mm. What do you want to do? And what the whole time I was watching the movie, by the way, how is it that like a rich white woman is in this hotel room, is murdered mysteriously, and the only person that was in her room last was a black man? And it took them like a couple days to arrest him. I know cops are lazy, but y'all not that lazy. Come on, (laughs) (laughs) y'all not that lazy. Come on, nah, nah, no. So she has his last request, like. I will do whatever you say. I'll say whatever you want. I just want to look at myself in the mirror. And the cop's like, what? Like, I'll do whatever you, just like, I just want to look at myself in the mirror. Just one last time. He's like, okay. Moves the rearview mirror. Obviously she starts saying his name five times. Comes out of the apartment building, covered in a swarm of bees. Starts taking these men out like it's nothing. Like it's, like, it, there's no problem. And of course, like, you hear Tony Dodd's as the movie ends and the camera pans over to Yahya Abdul-Mateen II, more sirens are coming, more cops are coming. That don't matter. Um, Homeboy has completed his transformation. Mm-hmm. And you're looking at him standing there in that last shot and his face changes from the different iterations of the boogeyman throughout the years. And it finishes on Sherman and the beads on his face and everything say my name, tell the story, tell the myth, tell them to say my name, all this da-da-da-da, and then the movie ends, and I'm sitting here like, dang, sheesh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, so any questions in regards to Candyman? No, it looks like I'm just going to have to watch it, you did a good job describing it, and like, all the, like, best bits, though, mm-hmm. yeah, all, all in all, like, 
I think that um, the movie did a good job of like taking like they're like paper puppets throughout the movie and like certain scenes and like kind of like flushing things out and all in all I think the movie does a good job of exploring racial issues in terms of dialogue and I think the movie does a good job of like exploring just like everything about it you know Mm -hmm. um yeah I think it's pretty good I think it could have been a bit scarier you know I understand like there is some explaining to do and all that stuff and like kind of walking people through it and everything and like uh of course like they have to consider that maybe people are going to see the first movie this movie in 2021 it didn't see like the film that came out in 1992 but all in all I feel like a lot of I feel like the only thing that the movie could have done was just made it longer. Yeah. I just think the movie should have been longer. If the film was longer, then they would have had more time to flesh out Anthony, to learn more about him. Maybe we could have talked to his mom some more, the mother. Vanessa Williams being brought back to the new movie is a feat. And that's so interesting and that's so great. And she's amazing, hasn't aged a day, looks phenomenal. Like that one, <laughs> one little clip people posted where they're like, it's like, like like that like that horror you look her in her eyes she's you're like oh oh i need more of that like Mm. i needed more of that i needed more little things in the movie um i do have to say it's interesting to me how anthony would not have turned into the boogeyman if brianna's brother would have just not been telling ghost stories in the middle of a dinner party like you could have you could have just not done that but that's just not how it went. And all in all, it was a great film. I liked it. I feel like a little, some people were expecting a bit more out of it, but it's hard to top an original that was so well done mm-hmm. based off of a book that is so scary, so horrifying, and so bone chilling. And to tell it in modern day, and, you know, Nia DaCosta, she deserves the recognition that she's going to get from this film. And she deserves a lot of it because she is the first Black female director to have a film finish at number one in the box office. That's amazing. Mm. And off of this movie, and then with Black Mar- with Captain Marvel 2 coming out, but she's also directing, like, she's going to be, she's amazing. Yeah, she's a phenomenal yeah. director. I think another film she did was with Tessa Thompson, and it was like Little Woods or something like that. I think that's what it's called. I want to look it up real quick, because I think that was the first... Little Woods. It's called Little Woods. Yeah. Uh, it's a crime uh. thriller film. It starred Tessa Thompson. It's really, really good. And um, <clears throat> I'm very excited for her. And I think that she did a really great job with this movie. And they should sincerely consider making a second one. Because I feel like the second one would be a lot better if they make it longer. and They spend a little more time on the scary elements as well as like, you know, the racial implications. Because Candyman is very different from um, Get Out. You know, Get Out is original, mm-hmm. truly original in every single feat. Mm-hmm. And Candyman is the retelling of something that people already know. And like gentrification is kind of tired. You know what I mean? Yeah. But I feel like if they focus more on the, the in the second film, if they do make a second film, which they should, generational trauma should be the thing they focus on more. Like passing down that trauma and how like our bodies hold trauma and like the pain and like myths and legends and how we can heal from that and like and have that conversation. I feel like that would be a lot more interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So speaking of Get Out. Yeah, yeah. Jordan Peele's <laughs> breakout film as a director and screenwriter. Glenn, 
please tell us what were your thoughts when you uh, first saw Get Out upon like rewatching it? If you rewatched it. Uh yeah, yeah, I rewatched it. Um, oh my gosh, where do I even start? So one, so I rewatched it like three days ago, and I forgot all the like I forgot how much subtle like racism bits were in there like I remember originally watching it and like seeing them and be like oh okay but like obviously I was like very hooked into like the overall story and like the mystery because I didn't know what was going on the first time I watched it so you know like those kind of like flew by or like a little bit more under the radar um but like when I was re-watching it and like I already knew exactly what was going to happen I really picked up on every single time that like there was like that subtle bit of racism or there was like that offhanded comment or like every single line that people were saying, I was like, I was picking up on it. I was like, oh my gosh, they are everywhere. Like there is not like three minutes of runtime when there isn't something being said. Yeah, especially that one scene where he's meeting all of the, I also want to say when I first watched the movie, I saw it in theaters. Mm. I thought it was weird how like Rose is bringing home her black boyfriend and then automatically her dad decides to like bring in all the white people in the neighborhood to meet the black guy i thought that was weird and i was very off put by that i was just like we touting people around like they're trophies okay uh, okay i guess so i mean they do try to play it off though saying like it was their their annual family meeting and that rose just forgot about it mm, she just forgot like this forgot. is the weekend forgot i'm bringing you to see my family and so so mm-hmm. the weekend where a bunch of white people are gonna be in my house and they're gonna see a mm-hmm. black person for the first time who doesn't work for them Mm-hmm. Cool. But yeah. Cool. Anyways, they tried to explain it. <laughs> they tried. All in all, um, Get Out, one of the best films ever made, and I am so happy for Jordan Peele. Like this was his first movie coming out, and everyone knew Jordan Peele's like the funny guy from like Mad TV, mm-hmm. Key and Peele, yeah, and all this other like stuff. Like he is a phenomenal person in terms of comedy, but in terms of horror, it's so interesting to see him make this movie and make a film about such like like it's kind of like guess who's coming to dinner yeah obviously yeah and it's that thing of like oh we all understand what it's like to like meet your parents for the first time and like black people understand what it's like to meet like your white your like your white significant others parents and how that can be kind of like shaky how you're a little worried about that you're a little concerned about that like what's that gonna like you know what's gonna happen with all that but to Bring it up a notch is so it's well yeah also because like all of like the horror element okay well i mean it gets a little bit out there a little bit a little bit but most of the horror from this movie is completely real like most mm-hmm. of the horror is just like family horror and like you know the racism that um a black person in a white predominant area would feel just like turned up a slight bit just like it's making you focus on it. Um, and so that I think that's what makes it so like unnerving and like it gets under your skin because it's it's not like it's not like a, a horror movie where it's like a monster where at the end of the day you can't excuse it like, oh, it was a monster, like it was a really scary movie, but like the monster doesn't exist, everyone's fine, it's just actors. Mm. Um, versus this, everyone is not fine. Yes, it is actors playing this, but this is also like real people's everyday lives. Um, and it's harder to just like explain it away and say it's just a movie. Yeah. Um, Jordan Peele, he talks about how he's been working. He worked on this film 
before Obama was even in office mm. and how he rewrote this script so many different times and how this movie was like so interesting because it's seen as kind of like a social thriller and it's kind of like a look into like white liberal America and the yeah. thing about horror movies is that they oftentimes take place in the suburbs mm-hmm. they oftentimes take place in these affluent suburbs where there's a bad guy walking around with the axe there's a guy who's going a little crazy. There's a guy who's breaking down the windows and the doors. Da, 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 da. There's a supernatural element. There's a paranormal element to it. And it's this thing where it's like, that's not going to happen in real life, like no. you said. And it's the anxiety that you can feel as a Black person when you're going to this affluent neighborhood, how you can be a bit worried about what's going on. Like in the first scene of the film, Lakeith Stanfield's on the phone talking about how, like, y'all got to be stuck in a suburb. Mm-hmm. with all these white people around yeah and he gets he gets taken and he disappears and then we go to uh chris who is you know getting ready listening to childish gambino's Redbone, you know and it's just like an everyday kind of thing mm-hmm. and the film of course like there's always that one kind of thing in horror movies that lets you know something's about to happen mm-hmm. like this something is not you know and it's when the deer, I don't know if it's the deer, like, hit, she, it's less like, it's more like the deer hit, ran into the car. Yeah. Like, the deer literally just, like, I'm ready to go and went out the worst way possible. Also, and, it's in, like, broad daylight, which is yeah, very unusual for deer. Yeah. Like, that doesn't really happen. And then, um, what is it? Chris goes to check on the deer. He goes to check on the wounded animal and watches it die. And Rose doesn't even care. And like rewatching the film, I was like, oh no, that should have, that should have, that should let me know. That should let me know. Cause I learned, I should have learned from you with Victoria Pedetti with her little thing with cooking the roast chicken. Uh-huh. Mm, girl, I know you killed your husband. Yeah. Yeah. These white women want to pretend like they're all innocent and fragile and da-da-da-da, all this stuff. Nah. We know. We see it. And of course, like. It's weird that you wouldn't check on a wounded animal when it gets hit by a car, but automatically that's kind of brushed aside when the cop comes and asks for Chris's ID and then roses me like, what do you need her his ID for? He wasn't driving. What do you need his ID for? Mm-hmm. Exactly. Nothing. No reason. And of course, when you first watch the movie, it's like, oh, she's protecting him. She's like standing up for him. She's like saying something. And she's like that one white girl that you know in your classes that's like, she recently learned about racism. Yeah, she's her she's a little bit I, I, okay, this sounds a little bit bad, but she's a little bit too on your side. Yeah. She's a little bit too enthusiastic about mm. this. She's like, oh, racism is the worst thing ever. And I, the white woman, shall bring out my sword of privilege to cut it down on its knees. Like, mm-hmm. That's her. That's her whole deal. She's like the extra woke girlfriend that we're supposed to trust. And of course, you realize when you're watching the movie again, the reason why she doesn't let the cop take his ID is because of the paper trail that leads them to each other, which like puts him with her yeah. at the scene of what happened, you know? Mm-hmm. And she's like trying to like keep it, she's trying to keep it quiet, she's trying to keep it hush hush, you know? And the parents meeting him for the first time, they're nice. They're all getting along. The dad keeps saying, my man. The dad's like, how's this long this been going down? Like the dad seems agreeable and understanding and kind. The mom seems like really nice. And it just seems like everything's okay. Like everything seems perfectly fine. Yeah. Except for the brother. 
Well, yeah. What's going on with the brother? Mental illness, clearly. There's something. He, he was playing lacrosse a little bit too hard one day. He got a concussion, yeah. never got checked. Um, yeah. That's the what's brother, going on with the brother. Yeah. And so then, of course, you meet, like, the housekeeper and, like, the groundskeeper, them being two Black people. Of course, it's a bit weird, you know, like, you having two Black servants. Mm-hmm. With like and you're living in this beautiful house, this mm. beautiful, beautiful house that resembles a plantation in some circumstances. And it's just like, of course, Chris, when you first see it and you first watch the movie, it's like, oh, y'all got slaves. Here? Now? Chris, call an Uber. Mm-hmm. This ain't gonna work out. True. The fact they didn't leave right that second, a little bit suspicious. A little bit suspicious. A bit suspicious, yeah. But I, like, we can just break down the little, you know, semblances and theories, because we've already seen the film before. Mm-hmm. Um, when the people arrive in the Black cars, obviously signifying the Black bodies that they're trying to take, or, like, the Black characteristics that they like. And when the, I remember the groundskeeper and the housekeeper, like, open the door and greet the guests. It's a little weird, because, like, usually the help usually greet the guests like this uncommon and it's like oh well they know them so they're all nice to each other it's like no they know that those are the grandparents yeah and that's the grandparents party so mm-hmm. they're greeting their guest and it was just like a little woo you know and then there was um of course like the grandfather took the form took the body of the black guy because he got beat by jesse owens in the olympics yeah. imagine having a grandfather who was in the Olympics. Like, that's kind of wild. Yeah. But being beat by Jesse Owens, like, oof. Uh, I think it was like when, who is it? Bradley Whitford, who plays the dad. He is talking about how his dad, you know, was there with Jesse Owens. And how, like, you know, Hitler with all his air and race bullshit got beat up by a white guy at his own event. And Chris is just like, oh, I mean, that's sad about your dad that he got beat. And he's like, yeah, he got over it eventually. Mm. Or like he said he didn't get over it or like something like that. It was just like the weird wording of it. It was just like, what do you mean? What do you mean by that? Yeah. And it's like uh, the groundskeeper keeps running around, running past Chris. It's like, oof. Especially when Chris was trying to leave and the groundskeeper was, oh gosh. It was like, oh, that's that's when I picked up on it. Like, oh, that's a grandfather. Mm-hmm. Oh, and he's, I was like, Oh, Chris, this sucks to be you. Oh, that's this tough. But then with the housekeeper being the grandmother and how she can be beautiful, like endless beauty, never mm-hmm. aging, like black people don't crack. It's like, uh, mm-hmm. okay, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what do you think about? I know. What, okay. Let me get into it. Let me get into it. Let me get first. into it. Okay. First thing. So one. I absolutely, uh, I can't remember the actress's name, but whoever plays Rose. Um, yeah, Homegirl from Girls. Mm-hmm, absolutely uh-huh. amazing. My favorite, absolutely favorite, okay, well, two of my favorite scenes with her is one, when um, after uh, like the kidnapping has happened after, um, and uh, shoot, why am I blinking? I feel dumb. The phone call that Rose has uh, with Chris's friend and um it's when chris is wait a second i need to look up their names because now i'm jumbling all their names together i'm going to Lil sound Rel, stupid isn't that the friend the community i just called them by the actor's name i think Lil Rel. 
I don't remember the actress's name. Allison. Allison Williams. Yeah, Allison Williams. Okay, and the, the, the dude's name is Rod. Rod, the TSA guy. Yeah, Rod, the TSA guy. Okay, yeah. so when Allison... Um, uh, okay, so when Rose and Rod are talking on the phone, and it's when Rod is really worried about Chris. He's like, oh, he hasn't been answering his phone, blah, 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 what's going on? And then she's talking to him and she's like, oh my gosh, he left. Like, he just got into Uber and disappeared and he left his phone here. You mean he hasn't gotten home? Um, and like, you know, she sounds really concerned and everything, mm-hmm. but obviously so the camera's flipping back and forth between them and we can see that there's no emotion. Yes. Like, she, she, it's a straight face. Mm-hmm. Like one, just being able to do that as like an actor is talented. Like mm-hmm. e- ignore, like just from an acting perspective, not even a, in the movie perspective, from an acting perspective, that is a very difficult thing to do, to be able to convey genuine emotion without moving your face at all. Mm-hmm. And then like in story now, like how crazy of a person do you have to be to one, know exactly what you should be saying and two, be able to convey all of that with no emotion. Like it's one thing she's for had, an actor to do it. It's crazy for a normal person to do that. I mean, she's had practice. She's had lots of practice. She's um, had the pictures. Mm-hmm, and then like when he like puts her on mute for a second and then brings her back and she immediately goes with like the jealous best friend who like secretly mm-hmm. wants her angle because she knew what he was doing. She was not fooled for a single second. Mm-hmm. Um, so I absolutely love that. And I also I love- also, sorry, oh, ahead, I want to say real quick. When she pulled out that thing with like, Rod, I always knew you wanted to fuck me. I was like, oh, I immediately thought to Lena Dunham and the Odell Beckham thing mm-hmm. when he didn't look at her and she made that whole essay about him and like her whole white monologue thing going on. It's like, girl, he wasn't even thinking about you. Like he was looking for Beyonce. What are you talking about? It wasn't even about you. Like Allison learn from the best white woman who makes white womaning look like white womaning is an art. And also her concern thing, her like having a straight face and not even like conveying any emotion reminded me of that horrible TikTok trend of white women crying and then immediately getting stone face. Like them breaking down crying. Bro, you didn't like that trend? I thought that trend was hysterical. It was horrible. I didn't like the trend because like, oh my God, the talent or anything. I just thought it was funny. I thought it was funny to look at. Cause it looked funny. You can you cannot look at me and tell me that that wasn't hysterical to watch people do. I burst out laughing every single time one of those videos popped up. I was just watching it and I was like, this is so, it was kind of eerie to me. Cause it was like automatically I think of like, what circumstances in which, what was the circumstances where you had to cry so hard and then like flip the switch. It was just like, mm, unsettling. It was just like an unsettling feeling to me. But yeah, okay. continue on with what you're saying. Uh, and then the other scene that I really loved, because like the first time I watched it, cause like, you don't know that Rose is evil or like, you know, like really like a part of the family. Like you might have a little bit suspicions, but like, she, you know, they do a good job throughout the movie of making her seem like maybe the only good part of her family. Um, mm-hmm. Until like, obviously like everything is revealed. And yeah. that scene, um, because it's like perfectly mixed with horror movie, like, tropes and it worked really well to use this trope um when like they're trying to leave and she's looking for her keys and she can't find them and like it's long and drawn out and things are getting you know creepier and like the brother's now there and the dad is there and the mom is there and they're all starting to crowd around him and he keeps like begging like where are the keys where are the keys and like Mm -hmm. obviously it's taking forever 
Um, but like it's taking forever in that horror movie way that you can see like, oh, they're just trying to build up the tension right now. Like, you know, like this is this is what the horror movie does. It's like when the main character is running away from the monster and they're fumbling with their keys to unlock the door or like they're fumbling with their keys to like start the ignition. You know, like it's it's a normal enough horror movie trope that you don't think it's on purpose until he like stops. He's like, Rose, where are the keys? And then she's like, you know why I can't give them to you. And it was just like, boom. Cause like I, cause until that point, like I kind of suspect it that she was evil, but I didn't know. And that was just, it was so perfect to, for them to do it like that. And I love that. That is one of my favorite scenes in the movie. Cause it's just so perfectly like timed out, like using the tropes that us as viewers know and recognize in horror movies. And mm -hmm. so we don't think anything of it. So we're getting like tense and nervous, but we don't think it's weird that's happening. And then it's just like, whoop. Nope, this is on purpose. No, Chris is, oop, Chris is lost. Oops, gone, dead. And when Close he went into the second it. place, she was like, you're one of my favorites. I wanted to punch her in her face. The way that I, I would have you. jumped out of the sunken place oh, just no, to slap her. Like that alone gave me enough power to leave the sunken place, shoot right back up and hit you over the head. Mm -hmm. I, the sunken place is such a perfect metaphor because when, uh, Chris's mom was like, I can kind of hypnotize you so you can like stop smoking. Cause like obviously his body's just telling people they want him to be perfect for the, 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 the whatever. Mm -hmm. um, she is first like hypnotizing him and bringing him, she's telling him to sink in that weird moment of when he is falling in free fall. That beautiful, horrifying, like uh, stomach dropping out of your, like your, your heart dropping out of your chest into your stomach kind of shot when you're seeing him fall backwards where he's a child and he's recounting like how his mother died was hit by a car and he couldn't mm -hmm. do anything to save her and how the deer died hit by a car and he couldn't do anything to save him and now he is the helpless you know animal that he's helpless in like not saying his mother's an animal that's horrible but like, yeah, yeah, yeah. the helpless get, victim mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah the helpless victim that can't be saved that is being pushed down into this place of vulnerability this state of consciousness where you feel like there's something I need to do, there's something I have to do, but I can't do anything, so I'm stuck. I'm stuck here and I'm reaching out and you're screaming and there's no one to help me where you're isolated and you're stuck in your mind where they're pushing back every part of him so that the white consciousness could take over when they do the surgery. And it's the same thing where Chris is isolated in this suburban affluent neighborhood where everyone's upper middle class white people are picking a part of him a random white woman asked him if his dick is bigger or whatever mm -hmm. and people are asking about his genetic makeup and all these weird questions because as if they've never met a black person before and it seems like oh they're ignorant and they mean well no they're asking these questions because they're looking at you at a viable candidate to do invasion of the body snatchers mm -hmm. on you you know to try and make you into like so that they can be this perfect image because they for some reason think that the way black people don't age, the way you're better at sports, your beautiful, watchful eye, your analytics, your smarts, your intelligence, mm -hmm. that somehow makes you better than me, a white person born into a white supremacist society built by white supremacist founding fathers that has created a system to uplift me. So of course, what I'm going to do is take apart one of the little good things that you are, like the one little things that you have at, the, at your disposable, disposal that makes you better than me and attach it to me. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, I will suppress who you are. The way that Chris is doing it the whole weekend through, 
how he was trying to just be kind and be nice and not start drama, not start problems, how like his phone was never charged and he thought people were messing with his phone. And immediately Rose was like, I'll say something. I'll pipe up and say something. He's like, no, never mind. Don't worry about it. Don't mm-hmm. worry about it. Like him, he's trying to fly under the radar and just like, just get through the weekend without any kind of hitches. He just wants to get through this and not worry about anything like that. Him suppressing who he is in this isolated place and him being suppressed in the sunken place and him literally being suppressed through white consciousness. It's just all building up to the point where he's just tied to a chair, literally chained, having to watch this video where the art curator who seemed like the nice guy, who seemed like the guy who was aware of it, was ignorant, who seemed just like a genuine ally to Chris was the person that bid the highest at the auction Mm -hmm. so that he could have his eyes. And even when this man is in a hospital gown, ready to have his brain and take it out and have Chris's brain implanted in him, he straight up was like, don't try love being with them. I'm not like them. Buddy, were you not raising your bingo card to try to get these eyes? Mm -hmm. You try to tell me that you're not the bad guy in the situation? Who is here strapped to a chair? Exactly. Who is it? Because it's not you. It's me. <laughs> I am the victim here. Hello? Mm-hmm. Hello, rich white man. Hi. You're trying to take my eyes so you can make more money in the art world? So you can raise to... like sit, Cry me a river, bitch. I don't care. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Glenn? Oh, my goodness. Um, I I really okay, okay. A little bit of an offshoot. I do like that was a little bit funny back when we were with Rod um at the TSA. Cause like obviously this is not a very funny movie. Obviously mm-hmm. it's mostly like a serious, edgy, thriller, psychological, spooky film. Um yeah. but I do like there's a little bit of humor sprinkled in. I especially liked this the the mini stupidity the mini stupidity of like when he's bringing it up to like when rod is bringing everything up to the police officers and then like she goes against the other police officers and they're all like intently listening mm-hmm. and then they burst out laughing because like let's be realistic if someone said that to you you would probably have you'd either be like really freaked out or you would probably burst out laughing like are you pranking me like is this a joke um i like that they did that uh, because like like I said, there isn't much humor in the movie. It was nice to have like a little bit of like a break from how like nerve crawling everything was, but like without it, you know, like completely diverting. I was I really like how they did that. It also brings up the point how cops did not take black people's missing persons cases seriously. Mm-hmm. Because when you look, Chris was looking through that little chest with all the pictures of Rose and her exes. And he gets to the picture with the housekeeper, that woman that looks identical to the housekeeper. Mm -hmm. You look at all these men that she has boned, all these people that she has brought into this neighborhood that have gone missing. And it's like, you're starting to think, how has no one noticed any of these people are gone? Mm -hmm. How has no one noticed that this white girl is going on these dates with these black guys and she is picking men literally there is a scene where she is sitting there with the glass of milk and the bowl of Fruit Loops. And someone brought up that she doesn't want to mix whites with colors. And Jordan Peele was like, oh, I didn't even do that. I just thought that that would make her look weird. But that's cool that you picked up on that. It's like the little things that are like sprinkled in throughout the film. And she is going through an NBA roster of college athletes. She is looking at their Instagram, she's looking at their twists. She is doing research. She mm-hmm. is scoping, she's scoping these guys out. She is doing meticulous research on this thing. She is literally 
out here preying on these men to bring them back so that they could be picked apart and put together before white people's consumptions and white people's benefit. And the fact that no one has noticed that all these people have gone missing, these people are gone, and this white woman keeps popping up in these random places and these white people keep going missing, it's just kind of like a commentary on how cops don't take black yeah. people's missing persons cases seriously. Because like, y'all should have picked up that something was going on after the what, 10th guy mm. that would go, that's been missing? It's they just don't care. They just don't care. Man, but the ending, the when he's trying to get out there. No, absolutely not. Okay, here's something. Here's something. This is it's a horror movie trope, and so like obviously, it, it, like it appeared like oh whoop de doo. But at the same time, absolutely not. Okay, you are running for your life. You hit someone. Like oh my god. Okay, you hit someone going like two miles an hour. First of all, <laughs> that was a little bit dramatic of her to fling fifteen feet backwards when you hit her at two miles an hour. Okay. Second, you do not stop the car. You do not stop the car. I don't know what it's, I mean, obviously I know because it's like a trope, but I don't know what it's with people and thinking that like they're a hero. No, you just escaped a house. You just killed like five people. You just hit someone with your car. You keep driving, okay? And when you get someplace safe, then you call the police. Then you lead them back to where it is because now you have backup. Now you have, you bring like 10 police officers with you and then you go back and then you make sure everyone's okay. You do not do that when you're alone. Absolutely not. And I, and over, I hit, hit the reverse and then gun it. Exactly. Exactly. And I hit, like, I know that, like, hopefully in real life, people are smart enough to know that when they're in a dangerous situation, you are always your number one priority. Unless, of course, like, it could be different if you're, like, a parent and you have, like, your child or, like, you know, you're an older sibling, you have, like, a younger sibling. In that scenario, it's a little bit different. But if you are the only person responsible for you and there is no one else that you are directly responsible for, like a family member, you run and you get help. Even if it's your best friend, you run and you get help. Because the chances of like you, if you're completely fine, being able to escape and bring back help are way better than like if your friend's like wounded and like you're trying to like drag both of you and go get help. The chances for survival are much better if you leave them and you come back. Anyway, also, so I just, I just hate that he did that. He went and picked up the lady. And obviously, like, we knew that, like, the, the lady he picked up actually had the grandma. So we knew that put him in more danger. But even ignoring that bit, even if the grandma wasn't part of there, even if she was actually knocked out, even if that was no danger in the future, do not do that. Do not do that. Also, like, when you talk about going back, like, leaving and then bringing back the cops, the cops wouldn't have believed him anyways. And this whole community that are in on this secret, this conspiracy, would have just turned it against him. Oh, yeah. Obviously, it's a community of people who know lawyers and know Mm -hmm. courts and, like, know judges. And they're like, listen, this guy, he came here. Like, Rose is so sweet. She brings by these guys all the time. But, Mm -hmm. like, you know, they're So, like, I I definitely understand. And, like, yeah, you're completely right with that. Like, the police probably wouldn't have believed in either. But still, that that is what you should do. Like, if you're going to... You know, if you're escaping, you're going to come back with help. Maybe you just come back with like 10 of your friends. Okay, maybe it doesn't have to be police officers. I don't care. The point is that you go and you get help and then you come back. You do not try to take this on by yourself. Yeah. No one's a hero here. Superheroes are not real in our community yet. So unless you have some superpowers that you've been hiding from the community, I don't want to hear any of this heroic action stuff. Yeah. Yes, definitely. And I'm very glad that Jordan Peele did not go with the alternate ending. Because to have to have gone through that entire film and then see him end up in jail, I would have, 
I would have been so pressed. But I'm not. I'm, I'm, I'm glad that at the end, Rod saved the day mm-hmm. and he helped him out. And I hope that Chris changes his name and runs away forever. And, exactly. And never, ever has to get in the tussle like that again. Because that, mm, that was something else. But I mean, but also, know. like, most of the family is dead. Like, the mm. mom is probably dead. The dad is for sure dead. I'm pretty sure the brother is dead. Rose is dead. Grandma, grandma might just be knocked unconscious. Grand, grandpa is definitely dead. Because he, obviously, because he shot himself. Um, mm. So most of the family, like, most of, like, the immediate family is dead. And, like, let's be realistic. They were the ones doing the work in the family. Like, everyone else came and, like, they... Like they auction and they vote and everything, but the rest of the family isn't doing the work. It was the dad who was dissecting the brains. So like, cross your fingers, maybe that singular operation stops. None of that fixes everything, but like, okay, well the body snap, the the main body snatchers are gone now. That's one less thing to worry about. Yeah, yeah, I I do see a lot of people um, comparing this film to like Stepford Wives and uh rosemary's baby which mm. i haven't seen rosemary's baby i have seen stepford wives i think i saw stepford wives or maybe like a remake of it i'm not sure if the original stepford wives had nicole kidman in the film but i'm pretty sure that was a movie i saw um basically like i don't know exactly how to describe this but the idea of people in society who are already like benefited in society, like we said before, wanting to just have like, you know, separate wives is a bunch of robotic house suburb wives who just serve to be housemakers, cook, clean, and sleep with their husbands. Mm-hmm. They are not individual women. They do not have careers. They do not have any other hopes or aspirations. If they do something outside of the house, it is a book club or they go to church. Yeah. You know, and you have a couple that moves to the suburbs seeing how cookie cut everything is and maybe like oh it's just like it's just the way it is it's just the suburbs but you see there's something else there see something sci-fi weird under it and the husband gets warped into this because he wants a piece of this he wants a slice of it you know he doesn't like being dominated by his wife he doesn't like feeling emasculated and it's this thing of like if you could take advantage of sexism to benefit you in your everyday life just so it could be a little bit easier would you do it and it relates to get out where like would you take part in a different side of eugenics i guess to benefit yourself as a white person in everyday society even if it meant having some pretty white girl going in and snatching up 20 to 30 year old um, black men and occasionally the black woman you know so you could live this beautifully sheltered life but also live this sheltered life with a bit more advantages also um so with that i do like that jordan peele chose like like exact like the secret that the family was doing what they were actually Mm -hmm. after i'm glad that he chose something that is almost impossible to argue is a good thing to do because like you know like sometimes like you know um like in stepford wives like as you were mentioning how like well like if you believed in like some sexist ideologies but like you only believed in them because like they helped your life out a little and like no one was really hurt because like yeah she might not like that she has to stay home and cook but people have to work jobs they don't like too and so it's really not that bad and she's being taken care of see with that there's a little bit more wiggle room you can argue i would still argue that you're probably wrong but you can definitely argue there can be a discussion there 
But with this, there is no discussion. Jordan Peele wanted to make it very clear. There is a there is a right side, and then there is the wrong side. There is no arguing for this family. This family is wrong objectively, and I will hear no discussion about it. I do appreciate that. Sometimes I like it where it's clear cut and dry. They are wrong. Yeah. And I remember like the scene where there's so many things about, there's so many little things about the movie that we can get into forever. But mm-hmm. one scene I really did, I remember um, when uh, the brother was asking Chris if he like does karate or like jujitsu or yeah, something. Mm-hmm. And he was like, you should do this because like you got to stay one step ahead. And he is trying to escape and the brother is choking him out and he keeps reaching for the door and like pushing it closed with, with his foot. So the third time Chris reaches for the door and the brother closes it with his foot, Chris stabs him in the foot, always thinking three steps ahead. And it reminds me of uh, Redbone, that f- song that's playing in the beginning of the movie because the song, there's the lyrics like, stay woke you know, niggas creeping, they gonna find you, don't catch you sleeping. Whereas like, you have to be smart and intelligent. You gotta say mm-hmm. 10 steps ahead. Cause oftentimes the movies are like horror films, black characters die first. Yeah. And it's not because like, oh, it's racism. It's because like black actors are rarely ever put into big budget films. Mm-hmm. And the fact that you are in this movie at all is something and they're like, well, somebody needs to die. So if it's gonna be y'all, it's gonna be y'all. Like, mm-hmm. like how? Oh my gosh, Omar Epps and like Jada Pickett Smith were the first people to die. And like, I think it was the second Scream movie. Was it the second one? I think it's the second one. Yeah, they were the first two people to die in the movie. The movie hasn't even started. First ten minutes, they're dead. It's like, buddy, I haven't even sat down yet. What's going on here? Like, it's that thing where it's like the black person wins, and like how. Um, I think I already mentioned this, how like the suburban, how sometimes like horror movies take place in suburbia, mm-hmm. how suburbia is seen as quiet and safe and nothing's going to attack you. You're okay here. And anything that will attack you are elements of the supernatural paranormal in monsters. Yeah. You know, they're not real. And get out being real. Get out being something that's of someone's real anxieties. It's like relatable and how like suburbia is seen as the villain. Yeah um i feel like yeah did i i talked about redbone yeah yeah okay mm-hmm. yeah i feel like that's all i wanted to say in regards yeah. to get out um one just last thing i want to add with that um jordan peele really knew or for the record we all really knew but jordan peele really knew that the last thing that the african-american community needed was more p- white people discussing what the african-american community needs yeah and so it was very clear it was like nope wrong yeah yeah i just wanted to throw that in there really quick and uh all in all it was a great movie it was mm-hmm. like re-watching it really did like make me have a real inspiration like i was really inspired by the film and i was just like like it reminded me of how when the movie first came out all of my friends were like you have to go watch this movie you have to go see it. you have to go see it like the trailer when you watch the trailer i remember watching the trailer for the movie i was like what is this movie about what's going on like what is this and watching the film was like, oh, this is something you have to see in person. Mm-hmm. You just have to like, see it. Um, yeah. Like, imagine writing this film, like, bringing it to bring it to fruition. And, like, the budget for this movie was, like, $4 million, which is a lot of money, but isn't a lot of money in terms of film Not for making. movies. Yeah. 
and very much being an independent film it's one of those movies where like this really is like a cultural moment that you really have to take the time to like dive deep mm-hmm. into and with other movies coming out trying to like copy it and trying it doesn't you don't do it justice no you don't all this going watch this movie study this movie this movie will be on the test this movie yeah. is on the test i will confirm Mm-hmm. especially like when he was picking the cotton out of the chair to like save his life from being like hypnotized mm-hmm. yeah that and then when he killed the dad with the deer mm, mm-hmm. i died mm, that, that was, was funny like, that was something that was some symbolism it was like oh you see the deer mounted like that's like you and the deer dying and like your mom dying you know you're gonna die no mm-hmm. not this time around no. no and i'm really glad that like the groundskeeper didn't actually kill him. Like when he did the little, like, little flash thing that spooked him out of the thing. I'm mm-hmm. glad that happened. And then when Rose came out with the shotgun, because he was talking to Rose and he was like, is your dad going to chase you off the lawn with the shotgun? She's like, no, it was her instead. No, I will. Don't worry, I will though. <laughs> but I will. Just for like cookie, quirky fun. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? <laughs> yeah, but I feel like that's all I want to say in regards to Get Out. Yeah, but do you know what that means? That means we have to talk about Malignant. So, okay. Here's the thing. I didn't watch the movie. No, no. I wanted here, to, like... So, here, here, here's the thing. So, I watched the movie. Um, yeah. I'm going to I, I'm going to make this very cut, very dry, very simple. I do want to say real quick, oh, go ahead, I sorry. watched a review of the film, so I kind of have an idea okay. of what happens, but at the same time, I forgot... So when you're talking, I will remember things. But, you know, go ahead. Okay. Go ahead. So like I said, I'm going to make this very cut, very dry, very simple for everyone. Um, one, first off, right off the bat, I didn't really enjoy the movie. It was like, mm. Mm, it was like an eh movie. Mm. It was a movie that, like, it relies a little bit too much on the supernatural aspect to have any really real, like, grounds in reality. And it was trying to make, like, a big emotional point or something, and it just missed the mark. Um, and based off of what I've seen of other people talk about the movie, most people feel the same way. Um, but with that being said, if you want to watch it, watch it. Um, it's, not, it's not like a horrible movie. It's just going to be an, uh, another forgotten Halloween movie. Um, uh-huh. Anyways, so I do like that it circles around trauma. The, the monster that happened, just the monster makes me cringe a little bit. But anyways, the important thing is, um, like the monster and the trouble starts because of like this abuse and relationship. The main uh, character, she's in a relationship, uh, a very toxic relationship and a very physically abusive relationship. The guy finds out that she's pregnant. This is like the very beginning of the movie. And like, he like attacks her, um, not like directly because he's, she's pregnant, but like in the same conversation. And like he punches her in the stomach at the same time she like hits her head on like the back of a wall and like it's the hitting the head against the back of the wall that awakens like the monster because spoilers like the monster is actually her it's a it's like a conjoined twin kind of scenario um where they can like take over each other's brains and but like it's another living creature but they don't technically qualify as a conjoined twin because there is no chance of like the other part of her being able to survive without her actual body so like a little bit weird um it's like sorcerer's stone with coral and voldemort yes very much so in fact i'm Um... pretty sure they use the exact same type of cgi a little bit better 
obviously, because it's years later. Um, okay. But that is exactly what is going on. Um, Hold up. How do you hide an entire face behind your head? See, that's the thing. Apparently, so part of the story, and like you find this out later on, is that she like went to therapy for it and she took a bunch of drugs for it. And eventually, these doctors, when she was a child, were able to do a procedure so that the the other person, um, shoot, what's his name? I think they call him, why can't I remember the name of the monster? It's like Benjamin or something. I'll, I'll look it up. I'll look it up while I'm talking. Um, but like basically he was dormant. And so he didn't get reawoke for like the last 20-ish years because like she's like, you know, in like her mid-20s now until that slam against the back of her head, which like woke him up again. Um, so, so yeah, he was just kind of like sunk into her body because like it's still a little bit supernatural because like this wouldn't actually happen in real life. So like part of the supernatural element is one that they can that he can take control of her body or like can control what she sees. And two, the fact that he can kind of like meld in and out of her body, I guess. Um, meld in and out of her body. Yeah, like there's some scenes like where you get him as like kind of like the, the stereotypical, like what you think of when you think of like a child, like conjoined twin sort of, you know, but like in the disturbing way, the disturbing imagery. Like there's a few times when they do shots like that, but most of it, like you don't see him at all. You just like hear him thinking in her head. Um, anyways, but relies on that. It's kind of like a murder mystery show a little bit because like some people from her childhood are getting murdered. And like, you don't know it's from her childhood, but like, some people are getting murdered and the police are trying to figure out who. And like, for some reason, um, the main character, Madison, is able to like, like she's seen these people dying and she can point to like where they were and like how they were killed and so like the police are trying to use her as kind of like a psychic like trying to solve these crimes but like oh my gosh like you find out like it's actually her she just has like it's kind of like a split personality thing where like the other person takes over and she doesn't remember doing all of these horrible things um oh gabriel there we go gabriel Gabriel's the name of the other guy. The other Gabriel's the name the of like the the growth, the 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 whatever, the other personality, the other person, the other being. Um, Did the Gabriel. cops ever suspect it might have been her? Yes, the cops were suspect. The cops actually think that it's her immediately, and she's put in for questioning. Mm -hmm. And um, that's actually the scene where we actually like, because it's going back and forth, because like her adopted sister Sydney is like slowly putting all the pieces together, and while that's happening um madison has been thrown in like a detention center with like a bunch of other like women who are just you know they're just being held there currently and that's when like while we're figuring out exactly what gabriel is and what everything is going on is um the stress of being in that detention center and having some of the other women bully her is enough to make gabriel come out and then she absolutely kills every single person in the cage and then escapes and that's when we find out for the first time that she is actually both people and that she is committing these murders and just doesn't know it because Gabriel is taking over. Um, and yeah, uh, that's really all there is about it. Some of the like, interest, there was some interesting imagery because like I mentioned, Gabriel can control what she sees. And so there's some interesting imagery where like, there's this one part where we get flashback where she's a child and Gabriel is like an imaginary friend. Like she always thought of him as an imaginary friend when she was a kid because she obviously didn't understand and no one else did. And like, there was this one part where he was telling her to 
like, oh my gosh, like you have your birthday cake out in the kitchen. Let's go grab a slice. And like, you know, she has like her knife and she's about to cut open, um, you know, the birthday cake. And then we like the scene breaks down and we see what's really going on. And she's literally about to like stab her pregnant mom because the because like Gabriel doesn't want another child in the house because then they'll get less attention. And so there's a lot of interesting scenes like that where like we see her doing something and then we see what she's actually doing. And that's probably like the most interesting part of the movie. Um, it turns out to be a little bit about like, you know, sisterhood and family and like choosing the people who do care about you, even if like, you know, you're not directly related to them, like choosing your own family. But um, it's a very shallow movie. There's some parts that are a little bit scary, but it's not ever really like horrifying or gripping. And it doesn't really have like a strong overarching message that like there's deep meaning to. So yeah, like I said, like it's just going to be another forgotten horror movie. Um, I, I don't understand why there was so much hype around it, but like, you know, if you're just looking for another like kind of weird horror movie to watch, I definitely recommend it. Um, especially since, you know, it's like, if you already have HBO max, it's just like another one that like they have. So. Okay. Interesting. So like, so with like the murders, were there ever, it was like, I think there's usually a scene where like the police take people to the site. And they're like, can you feel anything from this? Like, was there any that scene like that? There wasn't really anything like that because like for a couple of the murders, because like we find out that all the people who were murdered were different doctors or psychiatrists or other people like that who helped her as a kid. But she didn't remember any of that. So like, but like, as we find out like who she is, we realize like, oh, like Gabriel is going after every person who like suppressed him back when she was a child. Um, and so like a lot of times there's two different incidents where she was like, Hey, she talked to the police. She was like, Hey, this person got murdered. They live at like this apartment building, the very top floor, this room. And like, lo and behold, like there was a dead body there. It was the exact person that she said. And so they suspect her and they even bring in, there's even a scene when they bring in a, a psychic to like, try to like figure out what's going on. And that, that sends her into kind of like you know, the stereotypical like hypnosis sort of like tragic scene where like she's like shifting or sifting through her memories and like she Mm -hmm. gets stuck and she ends up having like a seizure. Um, So there was a scene like that, but there wasn't any like, you know, like taking her out to see if she can like feel anything type of scene. Okay, interesting. Yeah, I I really wish I had more to report about it because it was like I said, there was a lot of hype around it. And like, it looked interesting in trailers. It just unfortunately didn't like hold up and wasn't as like captivating as like a lot of people hoped it would be. Yeah, I I can imagine like, cause James Wan, what other movies has he done again? Um, um, Frick, Insidious? Was he, I'm pretty sure he didn't see it, Insidious, right? Yeah, yeah, he he's a very well-known um director in terms of horror films mm-hmm. so this movie kind of feels like not like his magnum opus but kind of like i have a crazy idea for a movie and i'm established and i have a name in this industry and if i make this weird movie y'all are gonna tell me that it's like you can tell me if it's bad i'm not gonna care like i got all this stuff under my belt so it feels like it feels like it's that kind of movie like yeah. i kind of like film was like hey what if there was a woman yeah 
had like an evil twin on the back mm-hmm. of her head and like it took over her body when she killed people mm-hmm. like, she was just she, trying, like it was something weird it was something different i do appreciate that did she end up killing the the bad guy she was able to like take control and like through the power of like you know her and her sister she was able to like essentially just resuppress them again um oh. and, it's, and it's kind of like that you know that um kind of stereotypical thing like well i'll always be around and she's like well yeah and i'll be ready for you next time um that sort of like a little bit cliche a little bit kind of cringy thing but like you know the same thing like there'll always be like an urge to do something negative or bad but as like a person you are responsible for controlling those like emotions or that anger or whatever so mm-hmm. it was very loosely touched on but like it was there okay interesting interesting well that's great thank you so much for telling me about this um i don't plan on watching it anytime soon oh no it, it is it does get a little bit scary at times i know that you really are not a huge fan of like scary movies yeah <laughs> but you know it's it's interesting to hear about it and did you at least enjoy the movie yeah i enjoyed like watching it i was a little bit like weirded out at points but like i was never bored i'll say that i was never like when is this going to be over yeah, so, yeah I as like that. just like a casual watch it was like it was fine yeah it's like i just need something kind of like to like spook me a bit. Mm-hmm. you know what i mean yeah but I'm not like, guess, I'm not going to watch this because I'm invested in like everything going on. Right. It's a new movie and you just want to see it's mm-hmm. new, if it's good, if it's not. Like, yeah. Just see what it's giving. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. What, if, what are you bringing to the table? Mm-hmm. What, are you, what are you bringing to the table? What have you brought to the table? If you're bringing nothing but your plate, then we It's Halloween right now, okay? You better be bringing something. Please. Yes. Awesome. Well um okay i think that's great and i think that we are all ready for i'll pass if there's anything else you want to say about malignant no no i I think i'm ready to move on to the next part awesome so we are going to move on to i'll pass the segment of our podcast where we talk about tv shows and movies that are coming out or have come out now we're just not checking for and i want to start off first by saying I'm not watching the Hawkeye show. You like, aren't? No. Okay. I love Florence. I love Florence. I love, I love Haley Seinfeld. Haley Seinfeld is one of my favorite people. She is like, she's a great singer. She's an amazing actor. She does all these things flawlessly. She has easily done so many things successfully and simply lived a wonderful, nice life as a very sweet, kind white woman. And I appreciate her for that. I sincerely do. I think she's amazing. I think she's great. I wish she would make music again because I actually did kind of like her music. I think she made like really good generic white pop music. Like it was, it was hidden. Like for those hits, they hit. But I'm not really, I don't care about Hawkeye that much. Like y'all are trying to shove Jeremy Renner down my throat. And the one thing I'm not going to do is take that. No. See, here's the thing. I, I would, it. I would never, never. Don't even think of accusing me of watching it for Jeremy Ryder. Absolutely not. <laughs> Absolutely not. Okay, I'm there for basically every single other person in the cast besides him. <sighs> also, yeah. part of the reason why I'm going to watch it is because he better die. I have said, I have spoken it loudly and publicly multiple different times. But if Hawkeye does not die in this series, hmm. we're going to have a problem. It's time to pass on the mantle, my guy. Exactly. 
Okay. And this is the perfect time. For, oh, okay. For the record, there have been several perfect times for him to die. And there have been even more perfect times for his character to just mysteriously disappear and never come back. But I understand that Marvel is doing what it's doing. So just kill him off here and we can mm-hmm. respectfully continue on. Yeah. I, I just like, I know that her being in the Hawkeye series is kind of like the setup for Young Avengers and that eventually taking place and i'm excited for that i'm ready for it i was exactly i'm excited for that too yeah and i really want i really want it to happen but um i see it's one of those things where you understand okay so i know the young avengers the new avengers and i know what they bring to the table and i know that you know huntress is a real character here Mm -hmm. and wiki and speed are real characters here um and so I know that Marvel is probably going to go that direction. But I also know that there's a really bad patch that we got to get through to get there. But I know, a, cross my story. fingers, yeah. cross my fingers, it will be worth it on the other side. There's a lot of story you got to lay down to get to Young Avengers. And, um, and this is one of the times we're just going to grit our teeth and we're just going to plow right through. Mm-hmm. Honestly, because like, it's probably going to release week to week again. Um, I'm going to do my best. This is what I'm assuming I'm going to do. I'm going to do my best not going to watch it as it comes out avoid spoilers which is going to be hard because obviously it's marvel um and then when it's completed i'm going to sit down i'm going to binge it all in one night so it's in and out i collected the information that i need to i do not have to worry about it yeah i think it's going to be one of those things where like if people are talking about it enough i'm going to eventually like be like okay i'll i'll watch i'll see what i'll see what it's giving Mm -hmm. i'll see what's going on but if it would be cool if he did die and then passed down the mental pop guy Absolutely. to his daughter. I would be happy both from a movie standpoint and from a thank God standpoint. Okay. I'd be happy at multiple levels. Yes. That is exactly what I want. And I have a couple of things that I am passing on. So if there's anything that you're passing on, feel free um, to break. The major thing that I want to pass on is just because it, okay, so I might end up watching it. But it sounds so stupid that I might just pass on it just because of pure stupidity. But it's this movie coming out in mid-November called Black Friday. And essentially what it is, um, is it's like a bunch of disgruntled, like, you know, um, I don't know. I don't know what they work. Best Buy, Target, you know, some sort of thing like that. Um, Workers who have, who are all like scheduled to work on Black Friday. So like, obviously they're dreading it. And like if it was like that, and it was kind of like a comedy horror sort of like thing like that, that would be fun. Kind of like, I'd be interested um, in that. Kind of like Superstore. Yeah. You know? The problem is that at the same time as Black Friday is happening, a alien spaceship lands and starts taking over people of Earth. So these disgruntled workers are actually going to have to defend and combat against shoppers who are already enraged. Who are now also possessed with murderous alien body snatcher, whatever you want to call it in this film, thing. So it went from something that could be comedic and interesting, disgruntled workers having to work on Black Friday, to something that is just absolutely ridiculous. Because they aren't actually working on Black Friday. They are literally probably going to be hitting shoppers who are possessed by aliens with baseball bats. That's what it's going to turn into. How many body snatcher movies are we making? As like, many as people will watch. I feel like they did this before. No. You know what I'm thinking of? This, you probably you probably don't know. Star Kid, they're like an independent theater company. They did um, 
what's it called? What's it called? Uh, a very Potter musical. Oh, a very Potter musical. Yeah, with mm. Darren Chris. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes, they did a a musical just like that, literally just like that, where there was a toy that everybody wanted to go get. It was called a Snuggly Wuggly, and the Snuggly Wuggly made people go crazy. And it was Black Friday. Da 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 da. Like they literally did a musical based off of this whole premise of the movie. It's such so, an easy concept. It makes sense that everyone does it. Yeah. Yeah, I can see why you don't want to see it because I am looking at the trailer right now on mute and oh buddy, this is a bargain bin movie. Mm -hmm. Like this will release in the $3 Walmart like DVD bin. That's the first place it will appear on shelves. Yeah, like me seeing this, y'all pouring alcohol in someone's cup in front of customers. That's not, that's not cute. Like we had mall cop, okay? Yeah. <laughs> We don't need we don't need any more mall movies. We don't need any more. Well, like, superstore exists. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is horrific. Yeah, this is not. Yeah, this is, I'm I'm not even a minute into this, and I'm already done. I'm done with it. Yeah. Anyways, what's some stuff that you're thinking about passing? One thing I'm going to pass on um, is this show called The Shrink Next Door. It's a limited series, and it stars Will Ferrell and Paul Rudd. And I love Paul Rudd. I think he's an amazing actor. I think he's really phenomenal and great. And I am starting to realize now, this is going to seem a bit mean. Okay. But a little less is more of Mr. Paul Rudd. <laughs> like, okay, okay. Casting directors picked up on that people are like attracted to Paul Rudd and they like him and think he's funny and like he's like really formidable. I know it, I I know for a fact that it was Ant Man. Him being in that movie Ant Man was what really like brought him back into like the mainstream. Well, obviously, it's that we've talked about that the MCU effect. Yeah, because before he was just in like what American Hot Summer. He was in role models, like he was in these movies that are like comedies and like, you know, you're like, you see them on the marquee for the movie and you're like, eh, maybe, you know, but like him being in the MCU and him being this like funny, charming guy, also in interviews and also the internet loving him has kind of brought him into more things like uh, the show on Netflix, Living With Yourself, who is in that, not that good. It got, it was pretty good at the beginning. But then near the end, they kind of lost the plot a bit. It was just a little too weird. It was a little too mm, shaky for me. I don't know if there's a season two. I don't think there is going to be a season two of that, which thank goodness. But The Shrink Next Door kind of seems like it's a show about a man, Will Ferrell. Will Ferrell is playing this guy, Marty, I think. And his sister is Catherine Hahn. Amazing. Queen. Love her. I'll never get tired of seeing her face. Right. And basically, Catherine Hahn, like, kind of like, bosses marty around and he meets the shrink and the shrink is like really nice and like really helps him like be more confident himself and like get out of his shell a bit and as they get close in their friendship it gets a little more toxic and the problem the other problem i have is that like trailers don't need to tell me the entire plot of the show you only gotta put you don't have to take don't take every big part that happens in the show and just shove it into the trailer. Yeah. Then I'm not going to watch it because I already know what happens. Like, unless Paul Rudd either dies at the end of this or he gets fired or he tries to, like, burn someone's house down. It's just, like, it's too dramatic, you know? Like, trailers need to be either, like, a minute long or y'all need to mitigate what's in there. Mm -hmm. Like, y'all got to make these trailers shorter or y'all got to get somebody else to edit these trailers together because they're not helping your case. But... Essentially, I'm not going to watch The Shrink Next Door because it just seems like a mess. 
Like you have all these big names in this show and it, it's on Apple TV. It looks well done. It looks well written. But I feel like it's going to lose the plot way too quickly. And then I'm just going to be stuck with a mess. Because <laughs> the one thing I hate is watching a show and then watch it kind of like deteriorate. And I'm like, well, if I stop watching it, I don't know what happened. So I have to finish it. But when I finish it, I'm not going to be happy. So it's like, Ugh, you know what I mean? So. Yeah. The Shrink Next Door is giving me those kind of vibes. I think it comes out November 12th. I don't know if they're going to release it week by week the way they're doing it, kind of like Ted Lasso, which is a show that everyone has been talking about, but I haven't watched yet. I sh- I, I think I'm going to check it out, but I think I'm going to bootleg it because I don't have Apple TV. Mm. And I'm not I'm not going to pick her Apple TV just for one TV show. Yeah. You know what I mean? I have everything else. I don't need, I don't need that one service. I'm good. You got, I'm good. I got mm, it. Yeah, we good. Yeah. The next one, I have a couple of them. Um, do you know Harlan Coben? No. Harlan Coben is a very, uh, very, very, very successful writer for like crime books. A lot of his mystery novels and like thrillers are books that take place in white suburbia and a young girl goes missing, a new guy moves into the neighborhood. Things are very suspicious. We all learn everyone's secrets. Okay. Things unravel, da, 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 lies, blah, blah, blah. Harlan Coben has sold over 70 75 million copies of his books throughout the years. Mm-hmm. This man is rich. This man is, you know, he has money. And ever since 2016, I think it was, Netflix has taken every single book off the shelves that he's written and made a limited series out of it. And they keep having that one guy who looks like the dude from Dexter, who I think is the guy from Dexter, and he stars in almost all of the shows. And there's another one coming out. It's called Stay Close. It's coming out at the end of the year. I don't want to watch it. Stop giving Harlan Coben TV shows. Netflix. This man's going to category on Netflix. The amount of shows he has is ridiculous. Like, this is going to be his fourth one. His fourth or fifth one. I watched his first two, and they're all just cookie-cutter the same kind of, like, thing where it's, like, white affluent neighborhood, something goes wrong, the police get in, da-da-da-da, secret, 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 secrets. Oh, no, big reveal, secret, secrets. Oh, no. Oh, no, there's a message saying that let's this, but there's something bigger happens. Like, oh, it's just, like, the same thing over and over and over again and it's a good formula it's a great formula it keeps you engaged it keeps you in there with the audience like you're watching it you're interested like oh these white people and this one black person in the corner this pretty light skin oh yeah they'd be going through it they're going through it but like i netflix needs to like netflix needs to stop because although his shows are like well written and well done they're all the same you add in like a kidnapping a murder an arson and it follows the same plot throughout the whole season 10 episodes, 50 minutes long. What's new? Nothing. Literally nothing's new. So, I mean, good for Harlan Coben for getting his bag, but at the same time, mm. I would prefer to not see that. Just, you know, I prefer to not, I just prefer not to see it. And speaking of Homeboy from um, Dexter, Dexter is coming back with a show called New Blood. It's set to premiere on November 7th. The miniseries will serve as a revival of the new series. It'll be set 10 years after the events of the original eighth season finale, which broadcast in 2013. And to that, I say, keep it. <laughs> why? You know, like, why is this here? Why are you making it new? Why? Michael C. Hall, sir, you don't have work? <laughs> you don't get booked? 
Harley Coben is paying her mortgage, and yet you want a new show on a different network? Yeah. It's um, done. We're hmm. over it. Netflix has to put Dexter back on their site so I can rewatch this show, so I can remember why, like, huh? Why are you bringing it back? For what purpose? For what purpose? We didn't ask for this. We don't want this, sir. I'm sorry, but like, I feel like you're good. I feel like you don't, like, do you, do you really want, like, do you really want to like go, ugh. people think that like Dexter's going to die in the revival, which like, cool, you could have killed him in season eight, but okay, let's bring back the show that was gone for like eight years, just mm-hmm. so he can die eight years later. That's so unnecessary. That's so unnecessary. I mean, get your bag, whatever. Y'all already filmed the show on Road or whatever, but like, I'm not going to watch it. Another show I'm not going to watch is Queens. Um, for some reason, Fox has become, Fox is very much becoming UPN. And I mean, I'm trying to say that in a good way, but like there's a show on Fox called Our Kind of People, which I think is a pretty good show, which I might check out. And there's also Wonder Years that's on ABC, which is pretty good. But Fox has a show called Queens and it starts Brandy and Eve. It's about these four women that are like rappers that are coming back to their revival. I think it's supposed to be like, kind of like, you know how, um, dang, what was that group that Candy was in? Candy Burris from Real Housewives? Um, Escape, yeah. Escape. How like Escape Millennium Tour are happening with these like black artists going on these revival tours to make money again. The show is kind of based off of that kind of thing. <coughs> it's produced by the same people who did Empire and Star. So it's definitely a musical, definitely a musical which is why I'm not watching it. I'm not, I don't care about Fox and y'all having these people lip sync to these um, audios. Like, I don't, I don't want it. I know the Empire kind of ended prematurely because everything going on with Jesse Smollett, but that doesn't mean you can make a new show. And as much as I love Brandy, like she is truly an icon. I'm not going to watch it. I'm probably going to watch it with my mom because she'll probably be interested in it because she loves Brandy. But uh, it's not for me because I tried to get into Empire, like I really did, and then up until like season three, I was just kind of like, yeah, "This is getting too much. This is this is not this is not good," you know. Like Andre's wife, the white girl, she died, and they started seeing her, and they started having ghost sex, and I was like, "Okay, mm. we're going too deep. We're going off the deep end. Mm-hmm. We are living on the deep end. We are on the edge of insanity, not glory, just insanity." There's a house perched on the side of it. They all keep building all these like, you know, wood things to hold it up. And just one, like one little hurricane of common sense will knock your house into the ocean. (laughs) So I'm over it. So yeah, those are all the things that I am passing on. Because I spent like a lot of time on Variety these past couple of weeks looking at the new stuff coming out. And I was like, Dexter, Dexter, Mm. why is that here? And then I kept getting ads on YouTube for Queens. It's like, YouTube, don't play with me. Don't, don't play with me, first of all. So those are all the things I'm going to pass on this week. That's nice. Amazing. So this has been another episode of I've been meaning to watch that. This ran a bit long, but- We had a lot to talk we... about. We had a lot to talk about. <laughs> we had a lot to talk about. So uh, I think that this is, this was a fun time. I actually had like a really good time uh, recording this episode. Yeah, it's it's nice to talk about something scary every once in a while. Yeah, get a little get a little shiver in your boots. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean, you know, shivers down your spine. So, uh, thank you guys so much for listening. We really appreciate you guys and your listenership. 
Remember, you can support the podcast on anchor.fm. You can support us for 99 cents a month, 4.99 a month, or 29.99 a month. No, 9.99 a month. That's right. Mm. Sorry, that was a big jump. <laughs> you can also follow us on Spotify. You can review us on Apple Podcast. Uh, share the podcast. Follow us on Instagram. Feel free to send suggestions to our Instagram and share it with your friends. And with that all being said, we will see you guys in the next pod. Yeah. Bye, guys. Bye.